Welcome to Steel Watching, which is a podcast for Remington Steel fans. My name is Sarah, and I am waiting for Magic Eyes. Ooh. And also one of those. Call you the bionic <laughs> woman. So, yeah, by the time, theoretically, by the time this is out, I'll have bionic magic eyes. So Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. I'm Eric. I'm one of the other hosts. <laughs> yes. And we're going to be talking about the Season 2, Episode 11, Steel Eligible, which aired 1st, January 10th, 1984, and was written by Michael Gleason and Larry Connor and directed by Sheldon Larry. So all the Larrys. <laughs> it's a Larry-heavy episode. <laughs> I think this is the first time we've had an episode by Larry Connor. Am I correct? Yeah, I didn't recognize the name. Yeah. It didn't pop for me either, so I don't think I've seen him before, but if yeah. if I'm wrong, then someone I'm sure will let us know. <laughs> yeah. Have you had do you have any general thoughts on the episode before you get into the the details? Because I have a couple of general thoughts. Um this one is one of those ones where I forget about some of the details of it until I rewatch it. And there's some moments that I really like, and there's some things that feel off, I guess. Yeah, I, I don't know. Without getting too into it, I, I think that's my overall general. Why? What are yours? <laughs> well, I, I think the whole tone of this episode is a little bit different than we've seen in the past. For example, yeah. I think this is the Maybe first one it. where we see the murderer and see the murder being committed. I, I, I don't think we've seen that in the past. And certainly the... Yes, actually, I have that in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and the the murders that, that we have that. here are a bit more violent, I think, than we generally see in Remington Steel. Yeah, and and this is like, like you just said, we, we see the murder like almost right away, mm -hmm. but he's not the only one. So it's kind of an, right. also a a bit of a switcheroo too, because we've got more than just the one killer. So it's, yeah, it's a bit different. It is a bit different. Yeah. I and was trying to find a better way to say it. You did. You found a better way to say it. <laughs> and there was, there's um, another thing. And the reason I had asked earlier about Larry Connor's name coming up, because I, I didn't recognize it before. We don't have a version of the script that is somewhat close to the um, no the actual yeah, shooting version. What we have is a very first draft called And Then There Was Steel, in which Larry Connor's name is the only name that shows up. Michael Gleason's name is not on that version of it. And not only is it substantially different than what we got in the end, it is substantially different in the sense that how to put this, the the characters, without without being able to necessarily point to specific things with, with one exception, the characters just feel a bit off. And I don't know what Larry Connor's history with the show is, how much he had seen of this show yeah. or anything like that, but it just, the original version felt a little bit off. Now, there were some good lines in the original version that carried over into what we got, but... Mm -hmm. There were, there were, I mean, it was, it was, yeah, it, it, it just, the, the feel was wrong. The feel was wrong to me. And like I said, with the exception of one thing I can point to specifically, I can't point to anything specific. It's just 
off. You know, it's like kind of when you just put on brand new glasses with a totally new prescription, something that you're familiar with, I'm sure. <laughs> and it just, well, things hopefully are just, not for long. <laughs> yeah. But when you do it, you know, things just feel off and, and you reach for something and, mm-hmm. oh, you, yeah. you kind of miss it t- type. T- and that's just how it felt. So. Yeah, no, I, I think I think I agree with that. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. We'll, we'll get into it, but there are we'll some moments where I just feel like you said that. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, so I went with the TV Guide synopsis for this one, okay. which was pretty short and to the point. Someone is killing off the five most eligible eligible bachelors in Los Angeles, and one of those and of uh, the. <laughs> I did it. I did it. There's you. I'm going to try it again. I'm going to try this again. Someone okay. is killing off the five most eligible bachelors in Los Angeles. And one of those remaining is Remington. I sounded like one of the recording voices you hear on like the <laughs> bank when you call. Yes. Your call is important you're, to us. Please. That's why we put you on hold for the next 45 minutes because you're yeah, exactly so important right. to us. Because yeah. you are that important. That's right. <laughs> Not important yeah. enough that we are hiring um, somebody to want... actually take care of you, but you know we just stand yeah, there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So one the one thing I did notice here, and I got this from Judas' book. Uh, according to the book, the episode was originally titled "And Then There Was Steel," and it also says in the book the apartment building used for Arnold Baskin was the exterior used for Alexis Carrington in uh, Alexis Carrington Colby's penthouse in Dynasty, which is kind of interesting, as mm. well as. The name Carstairs. I didn't watch it either, but I, it just is an interesting tidbit here. The mm-hmm. name Carstairs is used a second time here. We saw it with Chrissy in um, Steel in the News, and now we've got a chip. I, I got to wonder if, if they're related. <laughs> they're the most unlucky family on the planet. <laughs> Things are not going well in the Carstairs clan. <laughs> no. Oh, no, it's no, not no. good. It's not good at all. No. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway. So. <laughs> so, yeah. Our opening scene, we begin with a man who we later come to know as Dr. Ridley. He's riding a horse through the woods or and not. eventually into a stable. <laughs> and, well, <laughs> someone is following him. The man addresses Dr. Ridley by name, congratulates him on being one of the five most eligible bachelors in L.A. Dr. Ridley is surprised. Apparently, that wasn't supposed to be announced until the next day. And then the man, as you said, proceeds to stab him to death with some sort of a hooked weapon. And I'm assuming this is one of those things you use to clean a horse hoof. Um, is that what it is? I'm not sure if it's that or I didn't really get a good look at it. If it's that or if it's like uh, the hook that they use to grab bales of hay with. I, I, I couldn't really tell. Oh, maybe, yeah. Maybe it makes more sense that it was one of those tools to clean up the horse's hoof because a hay bale hook wouldn't necessarily be readily available in a barn, whereas the horse hoof tool That's true. would yeah. be. And I I did have in the notes here that this is one of the first, the few times we see the murderer just kill somebody like right up front. First oh, sure. scene in the episode. So, this is, yeah, definitely a different tone. <laughs> um, yes and not again not a mystery More in the sense Columbo. that we know exactly who it is and he's he's a character actor too this actor I've seen him in a few things so yeah, he's a I don't know if you've seen him in anything but I, I, he looked familiar to me but 
probably only because I've seen him in Remington Steel before. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Sometimes that's true. Like I'll see think people in other things, and I'm like, I recognize them from Remington Steel. It's such a weird. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I clue into who I recognize is. <laughs> him because I've seen this episode before. So yeah. Oh yeah, fair, fair. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I've seen him anywhere else. So, yeah, I've seen him here <laughs> multiple times. We have uh, a scene change. Steele and Laura drive up to the Silver Shadows Country Club, and he announces himself and Laura. The attendant repeats what Steele said, but only changes Laura's name to End Guest. Hey, she's We're been upgraded to Unidentified Woman. That's you know, what she, I thought. This is an upgrade. She's now End yeah. Guest. <laughs> yes. No longer Unidentified <laughs> Woman. Yes. Hey. Well, moving she's, up in the world. Yeah. She's not <laughs> pleased, though. Yeah. No. Uh, she sarcastically says it's an improvement over unidentified woman, which is how she's usually referred to. And she reminds, uh, he reminds her, sorry, that she created him to stand in the limelight while she works behind in mole-like anonymity. <laughs> okay, that was a little, little much. That was, <laughs> that was rude. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she retorts that she has succeeded admirably as a woman comes around and opens the door to steal. She has to open her own door. So, and she seems a bit put out about that, <laughs> she doesn't is, she? I, she does, and I can sort of understand it because they're just treating her like she's not even there. But well, uh, yeah, so of course you could just argue that it would be demeaning to open a car door for a woman, you know, because it implies that she's helpless and unable to do it for herself. You know, for herself. Uh, yeah, but they opened it so. for Steele, so if... And if <laughs> yeah, but he's aged. Steele's not even the one that... Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> uh, so they get to the pool, and his overt cheerfulness is clearly lost on her. He points out that it wasn't his idea to be nominated as one of the most eligible bachelors in L.A., she snipes back that it's impressive that he is being honored for not being able to make a commitment, which is kind of funny. Um, and he claims he only agreed to do it for publicity, that he doesn't want this shallow adulation being surrounded by beautiful women <laughs> and subjected to casual, meaningless sex. As he says this, a woman walks by in a bikini. And uh, yeah, so... How do I look? How do I look? He's, do I look? he's really... He's taking one for the team here, right? Like he's yeah. really uh, making a sacrifice. Yeah. So I can, Throw me uh, into the briar bush, says Bear that. Rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> but here's my question, because this is what confuses me. Um, okay. I always hear about these, you know, eligible bachelor, blah, blah, blah. Now, mm -hmm. they're, they're not married, but they are in a relationship. They've said as much. We're no longer in this amb ambiguous space where they may or may not be exclusive. They're in a relationship. So can you still be considered an eligible bachelor if you are in a relationship just because there's not a ring on it? Well, I guess by somebody's definition, you can be. <laughs> and, and well, here's the other thing is if nobody knows they're in a relationship, then to everybody else, he would still be an eligible bachelor. True, but then I would think, I mean, I guess that he's, he says he's taking it for publicity, that he's doing it mm -hmm. for publicity, but like, I don't know, it just seems weird that they're going along with it for... Well, in the original version of the script, and then there was Steele, 
that's exactly the whole purpose of him being among this group of eligible bachelors. Right. It was strictly for agency publicity. So that part apparently the undertone yeah, it just of seems that strange for her forward. to be that angry about it because if if I don't know, and maybe this is one of the things that tonally seems off, but she's really not pleased about this. Like she's to the point that she's quite angry about the whole situation. And mm-hmm. I get that publicity, but at this point it doesn't feel like they necessarily need that publicity. His name is is known enough that she could have theoretically turned this down and not I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, it occurs to me, just as you're saying this, that it could be a situation like with Remington Steele's top 10 cases where the magazine approached him and he agreed to do it. Oh, maybe he agreed to it without Laura, her without Yeah, her before Laura even knew uh, what was be. going on. <laughs> and then she finds out. And then, okay, then she, she could be understandably upset. Yeah. I don't know. I guess maybe it would have been nice to know what the circumstances were that led to this. Just just mm-hmm. in the sense that Laura is clearly not pleased that they're here at all. And if they're in a relationship, she would have the, I don't know, I think she'd have the footing to be a little ticked off. Unless it was her idea that he decided mm-hmm. to go through with something like this. Because it it would be a violation of their relationship as well as, you know, irritating. Well, you know, <laughs> he, he might... If he was approached with this from by the magazine and agreed to it without Laura's knowledge, it could have been that he was looking at it uh, both from the standpoint of, well, it's good PR for the agency, plus also yeah. not necessarily taking the term eligible bachelor uh, seriously. It's It's like an honorary college degree. Okay, you're not really an expert in this field of study. You're not really a... You know, you you didn't do the hard work to get that degree in the in the academic sense, and so it's it's honorary. Yeah. You accept okay. it because it's an honor. But I mean, does anybody really take it seriously? And I that that could have been what he was thinking here. Okay, it's an honor. It's an honorary title. Uh, the magazine's doing it for their publicity. We I can accept it, and the agency gets some publicity out of it. But it's really meaningless, other than the, you know the. Uh, uh, the shallow adulation being flung into the world of hot tubs and saunas and surrounded by women and suge- subjected to casual, meaningless sex. I mean, you know, other than that, it's it's per- perfectly meaningless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, they go into a reception area. Mariah Taylor approaches them and introduces herself as editor of Upbeat Magazine. That is a terrible title for a magazine. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Upbeat. And it has a little exclamation yes. mark at the end, you know. Uh, <laughs> she says it was her job to personally select the finalists. He says he's humbled by the honor, and Mariah tells him that pictures don't do him justice. And Laura sarcastically says that he always looks better under fluorescence. So, I'm sorry, yeah, nobody looks uh, better under her fluorescence. Her snark is in full force. Nobody, nobody. It is impossible. I don't care how good looking you are. Sorry, Pierce, but it's just true. Um, yeah. So, yeah, he introduces Laura. Mariah barely looks at her uh, and says that it says a distinct pleasure. Laura holds out her hand, but she's already turned her turned back to steel, grabs his arm, tells him she needs him. 
So he says to Laura not to go away and walks off with her. <laughs> uh, she leads him behind a curtain with, other, with the other bachelors and says she wants to give people the benefit of the full introduction, which is quite the introduction as it turns out. Yes. Uh, she addresses the crowd, asking them to take a seat, and Laura attempts to do so, but has difficulty because it's like musical chairs. Everybody sits down, and she's kind of left standing around. Yeah, so Mariah tells them, and this is an interesting twist, I think, on this concept, because usually when you have like these date auctions, mm-hmm. it's usually the women right, that are being, quote, auctioned off. So, again, we have a little bit of a gender reversal here with this, you know, these are the most eligible bachelors, and trotting them out in front of everybody and, and what have you. So it's kind of, I, I don't know. I, I kind of, <laughs> I kind of always figured it, this was the way it, it generally went. It, you, I, I wouldn't have imagined, or I can't remember having seen or heard about too many eligible bachelorette auctions. I mean, I, I know it's big on TV, you know, the bachelor, the bachelorette type thing. No, I mean, but, yeah, not, but, I don't mean in terms of like eligible bachelorette, mm -hmm. but like just these date auctions are typically a thing. Okay. I I don't know if they ever happen in real life, but I mean, I I, I don't typically think of them, but when I do think of them, I typically think of them in this way, that the women are bidding (laughs) on the men, but you know, what do I know? I'm just, I'm a man. So (laughs) I just, I'm thinking, I don't know. I'm just thinking in terms of like, the shows and movies that I've seen. I don't know if these things mm. ever happen in real life. I have no idea, but like um, looking at various bits of media, I, I, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but like, I know I've seen episodes where there's been date auctions and the dating game. And it's usually like a bunch of men trying to get a date with a woman or, so, you know, two or three women. Well, on, on the dating game, I've seen yeah. it both directions in pretty much equal proportion. So that's true. I don't know. I, I I will concede that I am not she an expert did. in this area because I have never attended nor have been a participant in. <laughs> You've never been on a woman. Auction. Well, that's good. Yes. <laughs> and then, as you pointed out, this became like a pop culture thing with the Bachelor and the Bachelorette. So it it mm-hmm. there there are both of those things as reality shows. But I guess this is the sort of pre Bachelor. She says, ladies, don't be afraid to drool. And men, don't be ashamed for feeling inadequate. Ouch. (laughs) (laughs) Although given the quote-unquote offerings available here, Mm -hmm. I don't think that's a concern. Because aside from Mr. Steele, the others are... What's the word for it? Duds. They're duds. They're... Are you talking just in terms of their physical appearance or in terms of their personalities? I'm talking in general, just in general. (laughs) There's not a single appealing thing about any of these men. (laughs) Well, I can see how some women might find some of the other guys physically attractive, but in terms of their personality, especially as we get to know them better, it's like... I, I I do all have an them, issue with with it all. Worst. I do have an issue with it all, which <laughs> I I have in my notes a little bit later. And but I'll go ahead and bring it up now since we're there. I I recall high school, college guys like this that they they were not particularly personable in terms of 
you know, they weren't great personalities. They had one thing on their mind and, or maybe two, you know, if they were athletes and those were the ones that the women were drawn to, the girls were drawn to and guys that had actual personalities and actually had some respect for women as people, as opposed to just arm candy or, you know, horizontal recreational and relaxation partners. Um, <laughs> they, they, they got all the, they got all the attention and it's just, it, it bugged me. It always bugged me. I never understood it. Maybe some women out there can explain it to me, but you know, it's, it's like one of those things where, I mean, I can't explain, there's nothing appealing about any of these guys, like yeah. looks or personality. I just, they are, yeah. Well, I, um, I feel somewhat we'll vindicated that them, at least but... one person <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> agrees with me. <laughs> yeah, because she, I mean, let's talk about bachelor number one, Chip Carstairs. And as I said, it's like, if he's related to Chrissy, bad luck runs in that family is all I'm saying. Yes. I would not want to be, this is basically <laughs> like, he. Th this is the the red shirt of Remington Steel. Okay, <laughs> if your last name is Carstairs, you're going to die. Like you're done. <laughs> Remember that fanfic writers. Uh, if you want to kill somebody, is... name them Carstairs. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, uh, she says he is a stockbroker who enjoys volleyball on the beach and long walks in the rain. Okay. His favorite books are the money game and the profit. Okay. Stop right there. I got to ask gonna... because we know what happens. <laughs> the profit, the profit, the profit. What is the deal uh, with the profit? So I don't know. I mean, I looked it up because I, I didn't know what it was. I did right? too. Um, it's a book of 26 prose poetry fables written in English by the Lebanese American poet and writer Khalil Gibran. It was originally published in 1923 by Alfred A. Knopf and it's his best known work. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I found the same kind of information and, yeah, you know, some biographical information about it and some publishing information about it. But I did not find anything that tells me why was everybody in this show and presumably the writer, because it was one of the features of the first version of the script before Gleason started uh, writing on it. Uh, what was his obsession? What made it so interesting to people? I, I don't get it. Here's my guess. Like, I, I can only guess. And my guess is that, like, they wanted to pick something that was... Fashionable? Pseudo-intellectual, somewhat obscure. Um, you know, like, the kind of thing where, like, if you want to be kind of a jerk and 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 impress somebody, quote-unquote, with your music taste, you pick, like, the most obscure artist and then when they've never heard of it you're like oh what you don't know so and so like oh my god it's just so deep like i you mean <laughs> you mean the partridge family doesn't do it no 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 <laughs> i'm thinking it has to be something like unknown enough that you think you are special for having discovered it but then it's not really the, that unknown and other people have heard of it too but only the ones that are in your well, that's the partridge family bag club <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I, yes. I don't think the poet Partridge family would do it. <laughs> I think they're trying to appear deep, but because they without having all a clue about it, what they're saying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I honestly don't think 
any of them have read it, frankly. I think they all picked something that they thought would make them sound important or well, cultured, well, I guess. I'm you know, Here's the thing. Is I'm thinking they didn't even write these. I'm thinking Mariah wrote them all. Maybe, yeah. Mariah wrote it, maybe, yeah, cause she because she seems awfully... In the original version of the script, that's what happened, was she wrote all of these. And I'm... I don't know if if my perception of what happens in the episode is somewhat colored by that or if I kind of already thought that and that just simply reaffirmed that. But to me, it it sounds like the kind of thing that a publicist for the event would write. So I I don't know. Yeah, that's true. But it does make sense, though, that his other favorite book would be The Money Game because that's like investing basics and he's a stockbroker. So. You get some information from them that's that's factual, and then you just embellish it. You add in the profit. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Um, but yeah, so those are his two favorite books. And then we've got Bachelor number two, Arnold Baskin. An attorney, Arnold loves sushi for, yeah, for two, and Ingmar Bergman films. Arnold's favorite books are Winning Through Intimidation and... The Profit. The no, oh, sorry. The Profit. <laughs> Oh, and Which for anybody who I doesn't know. I looked up know, winning through intimidation. I was going to just say, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, the okay. song that I'm humming yeah, is it. the dating game theme. The dating game <laughs> song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I looked up winning through intimidation because I wanted to know what it was. Mm-hmm. And it's basically like, this was the description I found. If you've ever found yourself coming out on the short end of the stick, you'll appreciate the rewards that can be yours when you take the initiative in every area of your life. Written by the best-selling author of Million Dollar Habits, this business gem explains in candid terms what intimidation is, why you can become intimidated, and how you can avoid the mental lapses that cause you to fall victim to intimidation. So we have a lawyer. Not surprising he would have a book or pick a book winning through intimidation because lawyer. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) And then, yeah, the profit, apparently, because he's deep. Yes. So, you know. So, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> bachelor number three butch moran another butch so this is we're doubling up on names but, here too because butch um, bemis or have we had that yet yeah butch bemis yeah, butch bemis that he's, hasn't he's come coming yet, up though yeah yeah he's coming up but so butch is another name that apparently is a one that they like and they usually pick it for somebody who's ah uh, what's the word um more brawn than brain <laughs> not not the smartest yeah i was trying to think of a way of yeah so <laughs> i have a couple of issues with butch and i'll get to them butch is the star forward of the la owls hockey team you can't see my face right now but it is unimpressed with that name for a hockey team um, butch supposedly has a fine sense of humor i guess you'd have to be to play hockey in la sorry sorry no i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> I know at least one steel watcher who's not going to be happy with me, with, with me for that comment, and I apologize. <laughs> That's just a little hockey uh, chirping there. But his favorite books are Sports Illustrated and The Prophet. <laughs> surprise, surprise. So here's a question that I have, though, with regards okay. to the LA Owls. Do you think it was just that they couldn't get the rights to use the LA Kings name? Did the Kings exist back then? Or... Yeah, they did. I they did. They're okay. they're an expansion team. But here's but my okay. question, like the reason why I'm curious about this is because 
Gretzky, Gretzky was playing for the Kings in the eighties. Hello. Um, no, <laughs> I don't know hockey. I mean, no, most I know about hockey was when I was a kid, I won some tickets to the Phoenix Roadrunners game. I mean, that, that's, that's about as much as I know about hockey. Okay. No, but the reason I was wondering is because as far as I know, there are no LALs as like a lower club team. Yeah. I, so looked, I didn't see anything there's, a, there's one of two things here that either it's meant to be a lower club team that doesn't exist in which case he wouldn't be making five million dollars or whatever it was that he was gonna mm-hmm. get paid to play unless he was moving up to an nhl team or is this supposed to be an nhl team that he's playing for and they just had to change the name for licensing rights i'm guessing that they it's supposed to be an NH- nhl or professional level team that would be able to justify a multi-million dollar contract, but not. Yeah, that would only be the NHL because you wouldn't get paid that for. But yeah, I don't know that it's necessarily supposed to be, um, or that it was necessarily changed because of licensing rights. I I, I would imagine they didn't even mm. give that a thought. That they they didn't even try to. Yeah, get that permission to use the LA Kings or it's whatever just it was weird the that they would yeah, make up such I mean, a weird know, name like the LA Owls when you've. Got the LA Kings the just laying Ducks. around. <laughs> Mighty Ducks. I mean, yeah, but they they were created as a team after that movie came out. Right, but what I'm saying is that the 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 team name for the Mighty Ducks was not an actual team name, but it was supposed to be a legitimate major hockey league team. Oh so, yeah, I in mean, the movie, yeah. Well, junior team, not yeah. They were a junior team. But yeah, I mean, but anyway, it, so I. TV movies, they they do that kind of thing all the time. Yeah, they play around because with it. <laughs> you know, and they don't even think about trying to license it unless they already have some sort of established relationship with that organization because it's just not worth all the hassle because you got to get that's true. Probably too many yeah. too many people have to sign off on it, and too many people want too much money to do that. I mean, think about all the Fair. the little league baseball teams that are are very. You know they they use the names of major league teams, but they can't use the the branding of them because of licensing. Yeah, and so you know they yeah, okay. True. Well, we're we're the we're the neighborhood giants. Okay, well the, you got San Francisco Giants, yeah, <laughs> but we don't we don't have the same same thing. We just call ourselves Giants. So yeah, I think it's just yeah they didn't even try. Fair enough. So we've got Bachelor number four, Remington Steel. She says he is a private investigator who loves old movies, especially ones concerned with, and this is going to bug me, murder, mystery, and she says mayhem. I don't know why, but every time I, like, because I watched this a couple times to type mm-hmm. up my notes, and every time I heard her say mayhem, I just wanted to, like, reach through the, the, the screen and say and mayhem, mayhem. There is an H in there, lady. <laughs> Well, anyway, uh, that might have just was that know, just me or was that you too? Did that <laughs> bother you? I just kind of tried to ignore it, but you know, people do <laughs> mispronounce the words. Let's not talk about aluminum as it is aluminum. spelled. Aluminum, I no, I agree. As opposed to how the British pronounce argument. it, aluminium. Yeah. <laughs> they add they 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 spell it differently too, though, because they add those extra letters. They cheat. Oh, they're just making it up. 
they're just making it up. Yes, I agree. I agree. <laughs> Anyone who's in the UK, please don't come for us. We're sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, but, um, but yeah. <laughs> or, or, you know, another one. And, and I saw this on a game show once. Somebody lost a question because the answer was Washington. Okay. But they pronounced it Washington. Okay. To put an R in there, and then when they pronounced it, and they actually lost the question. Wow, what would have happened if they'd had to pr- pronounce the word Worcestershire sauce? <laughs> Nobody Does can that pronounce that word. <laughs> no, no, they cannot. <laughs> so it's a good thing he doesn't like murder mystery and Worcestershire sauce. So. <laughs> you know, I, I I had a so murder mystery. One of the reasons <laughs> one of the reasons I was um, wanting to um, get a version of the script closer to the final was because in this sequence, Laura does this little thing. She grabs her nose and pinches it and kind of tilts her head. And I wanted to find out what the stage direction on that was because I've seen some comments that suggest that that gesture means something funny or something like that. And to me, I see it and it's like, um, did you step in something? Because it stinks. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what it would look like to me, too. So I, I was curious so I to know what the stage <laughs> direction was and what it was intended to to represent. I so. don't know. Maybe maybe she just had to sneeze and was trying to stop herself from sneezing. <laughs> <laughs> so she didn't ruin the take. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Could have been. Anyway, back to you. Anyway, and turn to Mr. Steele, the ideal lady for him is one that he can work with as well as play with. And as she says this, Steele looks at Laura, who looks back with a smile, to be fair. Um, she says he's never read The Prophet, but he's promised to run out and buy a copy. And then she says, don't worry, I have one by my bed. Mm. Okay. Clearly, Mariah has um, opinions. Yeah, she, she probably has to test all the bachelors. Oh yeah, take them. Well, yeah, you got to make sure that they're (laughs) in good working condition. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) She then says the fifth bachelor, Dr. Harold Ridley, who is a noted plastic surgeon, is unable to join them at this time. She assumes that he has been dispatched on a medical matter. As things are wrapping up, we see Laura gets bumped into from behind by a cameraman. People are getting up to leave. They're jostling into her. So this is just sort of adding insult to injury as things go forward. Meanwhile, someone is tampering with the electrical system. The man who killed uh, Dr. Ridley, whose name we don't yet know, has clipped some wires that connect to the spa. I got to know, like, did he really assume that nobody was going to go in there until his intended victim did? That was, I had that written down. It says, connecting the hot tub (laughs) to electricity might be effective, but it seems a bit potentially random. Yeah, I mean, you're not controlling (laughs) Yeah. Anybody, like Laura almost went in. Yeah, right? exactly. She was about to dip her toe in and he had to stop her. Like, what is he going to do? Sit there and be like, oh, no, 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 no. This, <laughs> no one can go in this until so-and-so does. And then, yeah. Yeah, like, it's exactly. Just, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Very back random. inside, Mariah is telling the audience there that there are going to be changes to, uh, sorry, chances to meet the bachelors as the day wears on. She says they have tennis, golf, the hot tub. And other activities that each bachelor has, that each bachelor has, and that they have a, each had a woman selected to be their companion, chosen for their beauty, intelligence, and poise. And here's my next issue, 
and I know I'm not the only one. Uh, Cheerleaders. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I I looked at those as they come running. Cheerleaders. Out and and I'm not sure I would agree with those descriptions for the majority of them. <laughs> okay. What? <laughs> I'm not even talking about that. It's a hockey team. Yeah. Why, why the hell do you have cheerleaders for a hockey team? Where are they going to cheer? There's not a single matter. hockey team on the planet that <laughs> has cheerleaders. Hey, like, we need cheerleaders. What? I mean, <laughs> maybe the team is that bad that they need Why cheerleaders. Make, well, where are they going to cheer? <laughs> In the penalty I box? Know. I don't like, know. As a lifelong hockey fan, this is deeply confusing to me. I don't. Why not well, just have it be a different sport? Well, you you never know. This I mean, feels like it should have been. Have a you ever team. been to a Los Angeles hockey game? Maybe they have cheerleaders. Maybe that's where he got the inspiration. Was I can LA categorically say that <laughs> they do not. They do not. <laughs> oh, I can categorically say that there has never been a, a cheerleader for a hockey team in the history of of <laughs> of, of, of hockey. Um, Maybe that's the hockey's problem. <laughs> You'd have to have them come out onto the ice. They'd get body checked. If these were <laughs> if these were true cheerleaders. For a hockey team, they'd be missing some teeth for sure. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. Uh, so yeah, no, it feels like this really should have been a different sport. Like a football okay, team. I, I won't disagree with you. I won't disagree with or you. Or a basketball team. I, I will like yeah. I could see cheerleaders for both of those. <laughs> Although Butch looks yeah. uh, doesn't look like a basketball player. He looks like more of a football player than basketball. Not True. that he looks like a football yeah. player either. And but. I mean, football may, football would make the most sense for this, to be honest, because, yeah, and, and I don't disagree with you on the beauty, intelligence, and poise comment either, but it just makes no sense that you would have a hockey team. And it, it, it's weird that they included a hockey team to begin with. Not that LA, like LA has a very successful hockey team, but I don't often meet Americans that, live outside of a hockey city that give a crap about hockey. So <laughs> this seems like an odd, no, it's true though. Like, like if you're in LA, then you might run into Kings fans. And if you're in Nashville, you're probably going to run into some predators fans, you know, two of them that live there. And you know, if you live in Detroit <laughs> or whatever, like, there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I don't know. Um, but like, I don't usually run into anybody or, or talk to any Americans that live outside of hockey cities that like mm. hockey or even acknowledge that hockey exists, right? So if you're going to pick a sport that has cheerleaders and people know about yeah, football, football seems to be the, the choice. Yeah. Because, I don't know, it just, it's a weird, weird decision. Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll grant you anyway. all of that. Uh, I've spent far too long on this, but cheerleaders for a hockey team. Anyway, um, so <laughs> as the owlets come in, we see Laura facepalm as they enter, um, which is sort of funny. Um, and then, of course, Steele's companion. I'm Millicent Fairbush. Oh, that is so close to the line. Oh, and his response, especially. It's such a great, like, yeah. Oh, it's it's perfect. Like, it's perfect like 
Very James Bond moment right there. Um, I'm pussy yes. galore. Of course you are. Right? Like, same thing. Um, he walks by with Millicent and looks over at Laura and he mutters dreadful bore as they walk by. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, then we get a scene change. Laura is standing by the pool. A steel goes off with Millicent. The murderer, as I'm just going to call him the murderer until we get his official name, comes mm-hmm. up to her and asks if she is going to join the fun. Uh, she says she's not really interested in watching a bunch of grown men act like adolescent schoolboys, even if it sells magazines. Uh, she goes on to express her irritation at society and the way liberated women will fight for a copy of the magazine to ogle the bachelors and dream of one day entrapping one of them, which is hey. kind of ironic since, I mean, she's trying to, I, I wouldn't say she's trying to entrap Mr. Steele, but she's definitely trying to lock him down. So, <laughs> well, you know, funny. and the thing is, <laughs> That was one of the, that whole liberated ladies fighting for a copy so they can ogle bachelors. That was the whole premise behind Playboy or a Playgirl magazine. And yeah, it, yeah. although it was not as long lived as Playboy was, it was certainly was successful. And, and, and you've also got like on a, on a lesser level, People Magazine does their Sexiest Man Alive issue every year, mm-hmm. which Pierce has been on the cover of. <laughs> so <laughs> in a incident of life imitating art he was the uh, sexiest man alive at one point on mm-hmm. uh, people magazine's cover so it is a thing it definitely is a thing and wasn't he just recently voted the sec um uh, the sexiest grand grandfather in ireland or something like that something because like, usually if you buy the the sexiest man alive people magazine edition and i i did buy the one that pierce was in they usually will have a list of other categories like you know sexiest I don't know, singer, sexiest this, sexiest that. So they'll have mm-hmm. a bunch of other people in there. So if he was in there and voted sexiest grandpa in Ireland, I would. Yeah, yeah uh, I could see VIP it. magazine. <laughs> I just looked it up while oh, we were talking here. VIP magazine, okay. the home of Irish celebrities. Pierce Brosnan named sexiest grandpa alive. And this is September of 2023. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. They're still doing All it. Right. They're still going at the. Bad self. Good for you. He's still <laughs> got still, it. <laughs> yeah, women are still ogling the uh, the men. Yep. I mean, hey, it's a liberated world, right? So yeah. But uh, apparently, Laura finds that objectionable. Anyway. Well, she does admit because he says she asks her if she has those fantasies, and she admits sometimes. So at least she kind of is acknowledging that 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 is a part of her right mm-hmm. um yeah she asks him if he's connected with this and he says in a way and she asks if he works KG. for upbeat magazine he says unfortunately he publishes it and introduces himself as victor janoff so now we have his name um yeah so she gives him her name and admits she's just put her foot in her mouth and he tells her that he disagree or that he sorry that he agrees it's a tawdry excuse to sell magazines but he's going to do it anyway, right? Like, that's it's gonna right. Sell. It's going to sell. So, Laura takes off her sandal. She goes to dip her toe in. That's where he stops her and tells her the water is over 100 degrees. And if she's not prepared for it, it can give quite a jolt. Yeah. Um, so, she thanks him for the warning, says that uh, he, he is sure their paths will cross again, kisses her hand, and he leaves. So, yeah, he, I guess, managed to stop his, it, somebody from getting zapped before they were supposed to. Yep. And uh, then we get a, a scene change. Millicent and Steele are, are sort of playing tennis. It looks like it until the camera pans back and we see that she's the one hitting the ball from the machine. And he's standing there drinking what looks to be a glass of wine. 
Did Why did you notice playing? that they sped up the film? Yeah, yeah, I did notice that. <laughs> <laughs> Make her look a little bit more energetic. I I'm I'm thinking that she probably wasn't all that energetic to begin with. Anyway. Yeah. No, I meant like, why isn't he playing? Why is he just standing there drinking a glass well, of wine yeah. while she does all the work? Yeah. It's a weird, weird choice. Anyway. Mariah approaches and asks if she can get a photo of him hitting the ball. He leaps over the net, hits a couple, and is praised on his form. <laughs> Mariah then tells her to pretend that he's just beaten Jimmy Connell, six love, and to give him a big victory kiss. She kisses him, and here's where things are they start to get dicey, right? Like this is what I mean about tonally. This feels a little off because Mm -hmm. she kisses him and it's a long kiss. Like Mm -hmm. he lets it go on far longer than this, than was necessary. And then when they part, he, he seems real happy about it. He says that her enthusiasm is not only to be commended, but rewarded. Yeah. Yeah. I've got written down. What sort of reward did he have in mind? (laughs) Right? Like, I mean, is there, is he going for plausible deniability here? Because he's, he, he certainly didn't, like, he could have let her give him a peck on the uh, lips and then just sort of Mm -hmm. stepped back, right? And, and deferred her affection. But no, he goes right for it and then does not express any regret for it whatsoever. Like, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I don't love it. I, I suppose you could argue that he's he's playing the role of the eligible bachelor, that he's not really sincere in it. He's just an actor acting a part. It, it's, I, I know it's, it's a weak explanation. Like, it's, it's one of those, well, we've got to find some way of justifying the behavior, but yeah, I, I don't know. I kind of get the impression that he's into it. Like, yeah, he does seem to, be. I don't know. I could be wrong, but <laughs> Mariah then ushers everyone on to the hot tub. Maybe he's a really good actor. Yeah. And we've got Butch doing backflips off the diving board into the pool. Like a child. Like he Mariah is trying to get him into the hot tub. She she looks at this point like a dis, like disheveled parent trying to get a kid to put their shoes on, right? Like <laughs> mustn't keep the yeah. photographers waiting. Like and again, are we to believe no one's gotten into that hot tub? That's that. I don't know. It's a bit of a stretch. Well, you Laura, want to keep the water see... fresh and smooth so that when he gets into it, I it suppose. doesn't look like anybody's been in there before him. You know, like when they do the commercials yeah. for cars and they're driving through this snow-covered landscape where not yeah. a soul has been before. I mean, they've got people standing there at the end of the road saying, no, no, we, we got the road closed Driver down. On, you closed can't come course. in here. Do not attempt. Yeah. yeah. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, driver on close course. Do not attempt. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And then we've got Laura sitting by the pool. She's sipping a glass of wine. She sarcastically asks if that's the fine sense of humor Miss Taylor was talking about. And Arnold Baskin, the attorney, says that's just how he plays hockey. All brawn, no brains. <laughs> so, obviously, no love lost there. No. He walks off, and we see Steele standing in a robe. Laura makes fun of him, saying, what a hairy chest you have. So macho, so manly, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Like, she's she's having her fun here. Mm-hmm. He says that he finds this as distasteful as she does. Well, but he doesn't Millicent say it sincerely, though. No, of course not. He, <laughs> he, We saw that kiss a minute ago. Yeah. Millicent comes up and asks if he wants to experience the hot tub. 
she gets in another sarcastic quip about it being a dirty job. But someone has to do it. <laughs> can I can I so, say about Melissa? But you know what's interesting? Yeah, go for it. She is way, way, way too skinny to be attractive. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I'm sorry if that um, sounds sexist and demeaning, but I'm sorry. I, I That is not, yeah. I feel like this is one of those things where this is where society was telling women that that was attractive. And it, it it's funny because oftentimes when society makes these statements or they make these statements via like magazines and things like that, it's usually not what people actually want. It, <laughs> it's like when we, when we talk about like people in actual relationships with other actual humans, mm-hmm. right. Generally like that's not what <laughs> usually that's not what actually people are attracted to, which isn't to say that, uh, that people like if you're thin, that no one's going to find you attractive. I just think that when the, when the beauty standard is set by whoever or, you know, whatever societal norms are dictating the beauty standard, that's not necessarily true for, all humans and it certainly isn't necessarily the like I, I think it was kate moss who said nothing tastes as good as being skinny feels and that was kind of like where society was at at that point so and, and we've seen this before with with laura making comments about wanting to lose five pounds or mm-hmm. stuff like that you know like that was obviously yeah. the the message that society was trying to push and i i i agree that it's kind of a, a gross message because it usually leads to women being deeply unhealthy um, yeah. Um, and you were commenting about leads to things being unhealthy, which is how we lost Karen Carpenter because she had anorexia. Yeah. yeah. Be, and, you know, she was of the mind that she wasn't skinny enough. And when she yeah. finally dealt with that issue and started getting medical care, and this was back at, you know, at the very early stages of, of people even knowing what that was the 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 change in her life to try and get her back on course actually impacted her heart because her heart was no longer strong enough to to handle the change and and that's what killed her yeah and it's interesting that this episode airs right after steel threads because mm-hmm. in oh, the episode was, prior to this Laura described the runway as feeling like a meat line right mm-hmm. she felt like just flesh and so it's interesting that, A, she doesn't really have any sympathy for Mr. Steele or any of the other bachelors being treated as, quote, just flesh. In fact, mm-hmm. she seems deeply irritated by it. And B, she is treating these women similarly that to the way she was treated in the sense that, like, they're just bimbos, right? They're not. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, the episode sort of positions them that way, too. But it's an interesting episode to come directly on the heels of, of Steel Threads. And in, in that sense, that that was also something I had in my notes, and I forgot to uh, mention early on uh, because we I just kind of skipped over it. Is that in a way this is kind of the reverse of Steel Threads in the sense that okay, in Steel Threads we have yeah. the women being yeah. up there paraded around. Now we have the men being up there paraded around. But yeah, your comment about Laura, her response and attitude is interesting because in in a sense she still is is consistent she objected it to uh to that kind of treatment of women in steel threads oh yeah and she's yeah. kind of a, she's still objecting, to, it with, objecting yeah. to that kind of treatment of men in this one but it's less about the men in this one it's less about the fact that they are being treated like pieces of meat in this one as much as it is about the fact that 
they're being dangled out there in front of women who are hungry for those pieces of meat. And it's, it's, it's more about, yeah, yeah. it's, it's the men's fault that the women are behaving this way. Uh, not quite, but I mean, I, that's, I that's think kind of, there's of an element of that. Yeah. I think some of it is personal. I think, I think regardless of who agreed to do it or why she does not like the idea of him being a part of it. Like, I think mm-hmm. it bothers yeah. her deeply. Um, so it didn't seem yeah. to bother him when she was a part of it though. Interesting. I, I, I'm, I'm guessing no, that's just I, a gender she issue. Being, <laughs> well, she wasn't also ex- expected to date anybody. Well, um, that's true. She was just walking a runway, right? Like he, yeah. he, in fact, he was the one that was expected to come around and poke and prod and, and be Mr. Birmingham. <laughs> Leela, <laughs> such wonderful fabric. Sam from Birmingham. <laughs> Yeah, that yes. was it. Anyway. Sam St. Cloud. Um, yeah. so, <laughs> anyway, back in the episode. Yeah, back to the episode. He offers to go into the hot tub in Butch's place, saying he would consider it a blessing. As they walk towards the hot tub, though, Butch leaps over Laura like a toddler trying to get his PJs on faster than anyone else and jumps into the hot tub first, where he is immediately burned to a crisp. Barbecue. <laughs> it's like, no, no, I want to get my pajamas on first. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, uh, you win. So, no more. Yep. And the LA Owls lose. They're going to have to find another hockey player. And again, I, I got it. one more objection to this whole hockey nonsense. He has all his teeth. There is no <laughs> way he is he is a hockey player for the LA. He has all his teeth. <laughs> like, well, maybe may, maybe anyway. they're not his <laughs> teeth. Maybe he's got a really good set of fake choppers. <laughs> yeah, could be. Yeah. So then we've got a scene change. Mariah is in Laura and Steele's office saying it's senseless and tragic. She tells them how she knew of Dr. Ridley's death before the ceremony, having been told that the day prior he was killed in a riding accident, kicked to death by his horse. Then they called back and said all signs signs pointed to murder, and she didn't say anything because she didn't want to dampen the festivities. Because, yeah, that would really put a damper on things, wouldn't it? Yeah. Pesky murder sure. ruining my my magazine thing. Yeah. So Laura asks if there's a connection between the men. And Mariah says they all tended to travel in the same circles, except for Mr. Steele, whose circles are more obscure, which is why she picked him. So, yeah, Laura agrees that he is quite mysterious. Uh, Steele <laughs> urges them to get back to the case and points out that he might be the case. As he is the, the only link that they have is the fact that they're bachelors. So Mariah, she's busy fretting about the photo session saying that he was supposed yeah. to be cooking dinner for di- di- dinner 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 for millicent dinner <laughs> for millicent canard au vin rouge where we uh had that one before right is this okay maybe maybe we have been wrong about mr Steele all this time maybe he's not a gourmet cook okay hear me out okay. all we've ever seen him cook is this duck plus you know noodle soup Maybe the duck thing's all he can do. And anything else is noodle soup in his little steel tree. <laughs> like, I'm could, just saying. It could very well be. Maybe, I'm, maybe, I'm, that, maybe he is a one-trick wonder when it comes to his duck. <laughs> you know, uh, can, can we jump back to Melissa uh, uh, for a second? You know, she's are you sure. saying that all these 
somebody's killed all these men because they're bachelors and and they say at the moment that's all we have and then she says dear lord what will that do to our photo session she doesn't care <laughs> about the guys that's why she didn't bring no, it up she has earlier it's not about putting not. a damper yeah. on the festivities it's it's i don't care about these men mm, she's almost as bad as um, yeah no she doesn't uh, <laughs> oh yeah she doesn't as care as Melissa she, she does not care no yeah Oh, for sure. Like she just needs needs to sell some magazines, and so therefore this has to to go well. And it can, and people have to just stop being murdered. Okay, they just need to That's stop. Right. It's ruining it's my photo session. It's inconvenient for me. <laughs> it's really not great. I'm not yeah. impressed. So yeah, <laughs> and it it also has to hurt. Like putting aside my my joke about him only being able to make Canardo Vent Rouge. That's the same mm-hmm. meal that he made for her in mm-hmm. Dreams of Steel. So that's got to hurt, right? Like. That he's going to, like, because it's a photo shoot. Technically, he doesn't really need to cook a, a full freaking meal. He could order something and put it in his little steel, you know, That's right. containers. Yeah. And, and, like, he's actually going to the trouble to make this meal for her. Mm-hmm. Which, ouch. Yeah, you're right. That Yeah, that is an ouch. Yeah. Unless that's the and only thing he knows how to he cook. He suggests they so. cancel. <laughs> yeah. Well, but like I said, they could just order from that fancy restaurant that makes him all his nameplates and then put it in the bowls and make it look like he made it. Who's going to know? That's true. (laughs) Anyway. Uh, um, So yeah, Steele suggests they cancel the dinner and Laura says on the contrary, he's going to be Johnny on the spot. I get that she's hurt, but you know, maybe, maybe using him as bait is not how to solve your problems. <laughs> um, so Steele asks what she will be doing while time. he plays clay pigeon over his dead duck. Yeah. Right. This is the second time. It's both been, t- both times he has cooked Canardo Van Rouge. She's wanted to use him as bait for something. So That's right. yikes. Um, so she says she's going to check out the other bachelors to hope they find a link. And then Mariah praises Steele for his bravery. And then ask him what color his walls are. She doesn't want Millicent to blend into the background, of course. Yeah. And then Steele callously says that Millicent would stand out in anything she wears and tells Laura to call him if something turns up. So she swallows her anger, tells him to count on it, and Mildred watches him go. Mildred's, we talked about this before, but Mildred's not really in this episode very much. She wasn't mm-hmm. in Steel Threads at all, and she's only got like a couple of scenes in this episode, too. Mm-hmm. She watches them go. She says to Laura that Millicent is a barracuda, and Laura adds, she's looking for a hot lunch. And Millicent, or sorry, Millicent, Mildred <laughs> asks if she's going to, if Laura's going to do anything about it. And Laura says that there's a case to pursue. Mildred says, not with me, and tells Laura she's going over to Steele's to help him with his Canardo Van Rouge. Laura tries to stop her, and Mildred assures her the only thing that's going to be sampled is the duck. <laughs> Uh, I do love that Mildred's like, well, okay, fine. You're not going to do anything. I'm going to put the brakes on this and just kind of go sailing on in there. Since you brought up Mildred, great. And, and actually she brought herself up because she's in this scene. That was one yep. of the things about the original script that was off for me. Because in the original script, Mildred winds up doing some uh, research for on the backgrounds of some of the other bachelors for Holton Steele. And she does it by logging into the IRS computers as an agent. Oh, we know that that's not fraud. We know that that's not her because she's always been very, very much. She was so freaked out. Yeah. yeah, By the book, never do anything wrong. 
you know, type person. And so that was totally out of character. And so I can see why Michael Gleason uh, at some point jumped in and, and did some major rewrites on the script. But uh, yeah, that was one of the things about yeah. the original version of the script that I, that just didn't, didn't match up to what we'd been taught about these characters. And so that was just one of the things about the original uh, script that just was, was created this whole aura. Yeah. Of, it's, it's, this isn't, yeah, something's off. Yeah, I agree. That wouldn't have been Mildred at all. And and like I said, I think Steele's acting a bit out of character. It's not out of character for him mm-hmm. to to needle Laura or to kind of poke at her or anything like that. But I do think, absent of Laura even being there, the lingering kiss with Millicent and the behavior as if he's really genuinely interested in pursuing something with her mm-hmm. is not him. Like that part's not him. The only part uh, of that that's consistent with him is that it's a tall blonde. Yeah, that's true. That is true. You know, in, in that <laughs> sense, that is consistent. But you're right. The behavior itself is, is yeah. That His behavior in this episode is season one Remington, like early season one. I could see this episode fitting in very nicely in that, in like the beginning part of season one. But mm-hmm. now, like, they are in an established relationship. And so his behavior is really quite cruel. Like, yeah, I don't know. We get Laura showing up at Chip Carstairs' house. Victor Janoff is outside watching. Chip is wearing this weird robe tuxedo thing. Like, he's got a tux underneath, like, like a house coat. Is this supposed to be attractive? Because I've seen this in, epi- in TV before, and it... Honestly, every time I see it, it looks like somebody just got back from a black tie function and forgot to take their suit off before going to bed. I've not seen this type of of dressing affair, a dressing arrangement, dressing whatever you want to call it. I, I've not seen it before other than in this episode. Obviously, I'm not watching the right, <laughs> right kind of TV shows. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it before. It's weird to me, though, because it is a mm-hmm. thing, but it's I find it very strange. Um, he immediately thing. puts his arm around Laura, turns on what he thinks is the charm. Um, he asks her if she's eaten. She says no. He leads her inside. An elaborate table is set for this photo session. Still thinking he's smooth, he offers to warm up his lemon chicken. Laura rolls her eyes, saying she understands why they chose him for upbeat. He tells her that women are attracted to him because he understands I don't think she them. meant that as a compliment. No, she did not. She did not. That was definitely an insult. And I would also add that almost every man who delivers a line like that knows nothing about women. Like any dude that's walking up and going, women love me because I understand you so well. Mm -mm. No, you don't. Nope. (laughs) Well, he may understand a very, very, very small segment of the population. Yeah. Yeah. The rest probably think he's an arrogant jerk. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, Laura asks him if he knew Butch. Uh, he, she takes her hand away before he can kiss it. He agrees that it's a terrible thing and turns on Tchaikovsky um, nope. and lowers the lights. Nope. No? Nope. I thought it was the spring. Vivaldi. Um, the, the Vivaldi, seasons, the Four the, Seasons. Vivaldi. That's Vivaldi. Oh, Vivaldi. So you're right. Sorry. You are correct. Yep. Um, <laughs> either way. I don't know why I know that one so quickly. <laughs> You know what? No, you're right. Now that you said it, and and for whatever reason, I, when I wrote it down, I 
I should have remembered that because I that was on an exam I took in high school once. But anyway, um, I got it right then. Uh, yeah. He adds that the guy who must really be in mourning is Victor Janoff and suggests that they have some wine, adding that it's only bottled in small quantities and he saves it for very special occasions. They sit down on the floor. Because no floor one watch. cares 2023. on this show. <laughs> Where? Why? Why do they not use chairs? Help me know. understand. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's <sighs> okay. It, you know, there's there's a lot of designers out there that they they design these places and spaces for people that have a lot of money and no sense, and they do some of the yeah. dumbest dumbest design things. You know, and and then the people who have hired them. Like, like you were saying earlier about how people talk about, well, you know, they pick this obscure band because they want to sound like they're real intellectual and such. The, the people that hire them don't want to admit that the emperor has no clothes on. So they, oh, yes, it's it's just a brilliant design. And so they go along with it. And so and then they wind up sitting on the floor. <laughs> uh, this this seems more like a choice because I think he does have furniture. They just decided not to use it. But uh, either way... <laughs> That that seems actually pretty par for the course where Laura's concerned. If she's on furniture, she's laying on top of a desk or, you know, <laughs> crouching on a coffee table while changing a baby. Um, <laughs> yeah, so they, Laura asks why Victor would benefit from Butch's death. He tells her that Janoff owns the LA Owls and asks her what she hears. And when she says, oh, referring to the music, sorry, she says violins and he's spring rebirth and he attempts to kiss her adding that she's a very beautiful woman she politely reminds him that she's on a case he stops and then she continues to ask about victor janoff he says his firm handled a stock issue when victor went public he asks and as he's doing this of course he's getting the, the dinner ready and doing all this stuff while she's just sort of rolling her eyes and kind of ignoring what she doesn't want to acknowledge and, and trying to get information out of him. So he asks her if she likes capers. She says no. And he says he doesn't either. Um, she yeah. asks, can you talk and cook at the same time? He says that he got a peek at Janos' report, and no matter what she's heard, he's skating on thin ice. Butch Moran was the only asset that he had. He was the franchise, and without him, it's over and out. So obviously this was an interesting choice to kill him if if he's necessary to the franchise but we find out mm -hmm. later why that is chip brings the lemon chicken over to laura who muses it's not much of a motive for murder this this makes me cringe he gets really close to her face like really close and produces that a bit of this stringy chicken um <laughs> which does not look good and it's and then he attempts to sound seductive when he tells her that one bite is all it will take to tingle her taste buds she is unimpressed. She tells him that she is not used to having her taste buds tingled. And Chip has to be the dumbest himbo on the planet because he still does not seem to get the hint that she is not only in, uninterested, but repulsed. So, yeah. not bright. Uh, I'm not interested in either. I mean, I, and I can, I can see where Laura yeah. would be. I mean, he, he's, he's, I, as a guy, I find him objectionable. And he's he's it, giving guys a bad name. There's nothing appealing 
Like yeah. literally nothing appealing about this man. And and I am not a shallow person, so like like I don't find the 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 actor that plays Chip attractive. But I if if this were a person who was genuinely a nice human being and had a great personality and all that stuff, a good personality can make somebody attractive. And mm-hmm. similarly, a really bad personality can can take that away, right? So like yeah. we already have a guy who's and he's not hideous looking, but he's not Pierce Brosnan. And then you add all of this on top of it, and he's just the most repulsive guy. Like, yeah. and it's obviously intentional. Yeah, but he's yeah he's definitely giving men a bad name. That's that's for sure. Oh, he's so gross. He's so gross. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so then he takes a bite, and instead of having his taste buds tingled, he drops dead immediately. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, so it, it tingled. I think she didn't try his lemon chicken. It tingled. It tingled, and then it died. He died. I couldn't think of a good pun there. So then we switch. Steele is bringing his Canardo Van Rouge to Mil- to Millicent, who goes to take a bite. Mariah tells her that she doesn't have to eat it, as people don't look good with food in their mouths. Again, why actually make the meal then? Why not just to have like something in front of you that you're going to pretend to eat? Because yeah, I I guess the idea is that after know. they take the photos, they leave them alone and see what happens. I guess so. She encourages Steele to just make it look as if he is feeding her. Steele asks, and this is interesting because he does not know that Chip has just been poisoned to death, right? Like, he has no Mm -hmm. knowledge of this. And asks if um, they know how the tradition of the host feeding the guests got started. And tells him to begin with the Borgias. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Millicent dumbly says, oh, I've eaten there. (laughs) Which, Mildred, (laughs) and this is great. In the background, she chokes on her drink. Because of how dumb this woman is. Like, she's just, I, Doris Roberts is a freaking gem. Like, anything that she does comedically is just on point. And this is, this is it right here. Um, <laughs> do you know anything about the Borgias? Um, I didn't. Oh, I know that they were, they were not highly thought of, but that's about all, all the depth I get into it. Yeah. So I did a quick, just a quick search, um, Spanish note, because I did know about the Borgias, but I didn't know like the full, I knew, I knew they were famous for like poisoning and essentially they're a Spanish noble family who rose to prominence during the Italian Renaissance. And they became like very kind of like well-known in political affairs and helped like prop up two popes. So they they were basically very highly regarded in, in sort of court, but they were also suspected of many crimes, including adultery, incest, theft, bribery, murder, especially murder by arsenic poisoning. So this mm. was a, a big thing. And because of their grasping for power, they made enemies of like a bunch of people. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so they, they, they stood out in history as being infamously, infamously steeped in sin and immorality and there's evidence to suggest that their one-dimensional characterization is a result of undeserved contemporary critique. So that's what, according to Wikipedia, says. But yeah, so poison was a big, a big thing for them. Uh, Mariah corrects Millicent, saying the Borgias were the fifth, were in the 15th century, and Steele explains that they poisoned so many people that whoever, whenever they dined with anyone, they always insisted that the Borgias take the first bite to prove it wasn't poison. So it's kind of funny that he brought that up, considering Chip. Yeah, and th- it's at this point. <laughs> It's at this point that something interesting happens because if you look at it, he sa- you know he says, and in, in their honor, I'll take the first bite. And he takes a bite, and he gets kind of a look on his face like it's like, um, mm, well, yeah. okay, it's tolerable. 
And then Melissa. Yeah, he doesn't look like asks, he's. Well, she looks I mean, nervous. It's almost, yeah, it, you almost get the impression that he didn't cook it, that maybe she did because after yeah. he takes the bike, well, well, how was it? Or that it, she might have had access to it when he wasn't paying attention or something. Yeah, I just, it, it, it seems to be, there's a in, inconsistency or, or continuity thing here because he supposedly cooked it, but he's tasting it and it doesn't seem to really impress him taste-wise. Melissa is concerned about how he thinks it tastes as if she had cooked it. And then his comment, I think I'll live. You know, it's... Yeah, I I think this was done for the benefit of the audience because okay. we've just seen Chip die of poison, right? But mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense character-wise for... A, for Steele to bring this up, it's a weird thing to bring up when you're supposedly doing a photo shoot. Like, that's not really that, Im- it's not a good way to impress a woman, to tell her about, like, you know, mm-hmm. a family that poisoned each other. And how- it's a weird, weird thing to bring up. But also, it feels like it's being brought up only for the audience to remind us, oh, hey, one of the bachelors just died by poisoning. And Steele's mentioning poison, and he's about to take a bite. And then Millicent's reaction to it as well feels more like trying to trick the audience into being worried that he's about to kill over than it does making sense to, to the plot. Yeah. Um, it's the, the whole thing, the, the fact that it, it kind of flips over who's who apparently cooked it or seems to have cooked it. Everybody's concerned the reference mm-hmm. to the Borgias. Yeah. It, it's, I'm going to use a phrase here. That's probably going to get me in trouble. Um, particularly considering Michael Gleason's name on the script, it it feels like bad writing. Well, I wonder if 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 he's on the script nominally because he doctored some of it, but mm-hmm. maybe not all of it. I don't know. It yeah, y- yeah. Be. I'm not going to argue there because it does feel like this is mainly to remind us that steel could be poisoned, right? And and yeah. and even if he didn't know what happened to Chip, surely he should know to be a little bit careful and i'm not saying like get her to taste it you know hope she doesn't heal over but like i don't know it just seems it's not good dinner conversation to bring it up no yeah i don't know it's a weird it's weird so yeah as you said the others watch him carefully until he declares that he's gonna live millicent laughs nervously mariah ushers them all out saying that she still has others to shoot i didn't see her take any photos did you no. Like, like she talks about how like this is for the photo shoot but like I don't re- I didn't see a camera click. He didn't feed her. He took a bite and then she was like, "Okay, okay, we're all we're, we're going. I guess we're supposed to assume they took pictures somewhere in well, there." Well, they but- they had a photographer there and he has a flash on his camera, so presumably you'd have seen the flash, but yeah, yeah well, I think. don't see any yeah. evidence of of it actually having happened. So, yeah, you're right. <laughs> she tells Steele to call her and that she'll read him selected passages from the prophet. <laughs> she blows him a kiss, which Mildred sarcastically imitates. Which And again, that was another hilarious. thing I wanted to check because we know Doris Roberts is, is great with spo- uh, oh, spontaneous she's so good. reactions. She's so I good. I wanted to know yeah. if that was scripted or if that was Doris Roberts just, you know, in the I'm spur of the moment. Doris. Like, being inspired. Yeah. I'm going to guess like, it was like in the last Roberts, episode she's, where she's just that funny. When? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
Oh, she's just that funny. She's she's really funny. And Mildred, she comes back in just as Millicent is suggestively telling Steele she wants to devour his duck and hands her mm-hmm. her wrap. Uh, she wraps her purse Sorry, around you have her to neck rush. and uses it to pull Millicent almost out of the chair. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Millicent points out she hasn't eaten, and Mildred, not missing a beat, offers to make her a doggy bag. <laughs> Uh, Steele says that she is their guest, sounding a little irritated as Millicent asks for a glass of wine. He takes her into the living room, where it will be less crowded, and Millicent asks if she lives in, referring to Mildred, uh, to which he replies that it seems that way. (laughs) Mildred brings a styrofoam cup with wine in it and tells her to leave. Mildred is not having it. Like, she is just... No. No. uh -uh, Not having... She... (laughs) Uh, Steele then tells Mildred that she can go. Mildred refuses, saying that she has dishes. Steele counters with they can wait until morning, and Mildred insists that they might attract bugs, and she never leaves anything around that can cause problems. I get the feeling she'd be willing to take a hit. <laughs> like that that she's, you know, hinting to I will take this woman out, Mr. Steele. She will not her body will get found days from me. You know, like Oof. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, she's fighting so, Steele, too, because Steele obviously wants Melissa to stay is. and feel welcome. But, yeah, she's uh, she's fighting Steele on Laura's behalf, and, and she doesn't – she knows he knows what he's she's doing. And oh, yeah. she doesn't care that yeah. he knows what she's doing. It's like she's <laughs> right up there, she's, you know, nose to nose, punch to punch. Save, and, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Determined to save him from himself, essentially. And then – like, she kind of stalks away. Steele opens up a discussion about Butch's death. Millicent expresses sadness, saying he had some great moves. And he wasn't a bad hockey player, either. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the best line. Oh, my God, I love it. <laughs> he asks if she was acquainted with Butch, and she says that she was acquainted with the entire starting lineup. <laughs> which is also funny. Um But it also doesn't make any sense, again, from a hockey perspective, because... Okay, yes, they do have like hockey works in You're not going to give it up, so are you? Have, you? Like, I'm not going to give it up because it doesn't make sense. Like you've got <laughs> lines, right? There's only ever five men on the ice. So you'll have the first line, the second line. Usually there's a third line, right? And she, she's probably acquainted with the entire the team as necessary. Well, I mean, it, you'd think she'd say the whole team then, not just the starting line, because that'd only be five guys. And I have a feeling she's gotten around. So. Anyway, <laughs> he asks about the other bachelors, and she suggestively says, not yet, and then says that there's one she'd like to know better. And before she, he can respond, Mildred comes back, <laughs> and she is not pulling her punches here. And I don't think I've ever heard this word used on the show until this point, but she says, don't you feel like a slut parading around in those skimpy costumes? Wow. I have to, I have to ask, though. I mean, has Mildred been to a beach or a swimming pool lately. Cheerleader costumes are more well, modest than yeah. bikinis. Yeah. And yeah. And that's that's even the the most immodest or that's compared to the most modest of bikinis. Some of those bikinis are little more than yeah. you know, pieces of yarn. Well, string so bikini, right? Like it's literally strings yeah. with tiny bits of fabric. Yeah. Yeah. So a cheerleader costume, I, I mean, come on, Mildred. You're old, but you're and not okay, that old. if we are operating, 
if we are operating under the premise that hockey would have cheerleaders, which it would not, but say that we are, <laughs> it's cold. So they wouldn't be wearing next to nothing because they'd be freezing on the ice. They'd have to have like at least some tights or something, I would imagine. Um, but yeah. Well, <laughs> she, you know, she, when, she when they're cold, sluts. though. <laughs> When they're cold, uh, they get... Uh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, yes. And if you have kids listening, oh, no. I, yeah. you, you have to explain that one to them. I will not. It's a family-friendly show. And yep. No, yep. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, she asks, um, Steele jumps up, grabs Mildred's arm, and she protests that she was just making conversation. Uh, and he excuses them to discuss dessert, mincemeat pie, and drags her into the kitchen. You would never have mincemeat pie for dessert, but okay. Um, so, but this oh, is one you of mean the with the canard de, out- de Van Rouge, or yeah, just in general? Exactly. In general, it's it's not a dessert, is it? Uh, I, I always it thought is. it was. I mean, I'm I'm not a fan of it, but I always thought it was a dessert. That's how. Let's see if I remember correctly. Oh, my mom used to make it, and that's. What it was was a dessert. Well, okay. Well, that was Man, my attitude about it too, in general. <laughs> but I mean, that's what she used it as was a dessert. Okay. Well, ugh. what do I know? Um, this is one of the few times that Mildred has outright defied him as well, which is interesting mm-hmm. because up until this point, she fawns over him, right? But mm-hmm. here, she is not afraid to just get right in his face and tell him he's wrong. He demands an answer. Mildred says she has two words for him, and he he says that he hopes that they are good night, and she says Miss Holt. And he seems angry that she's trying to protect her, and Mildred argues that she cares for him too. He says he cares for Laura as well, and Mildred challenges him on why he's parading around with that bimbo. And then he says, let me tell you something about our relationship, then stops himself and says, on second thought, let's not. Um, <laughs> I'm wondering here if he recognizes that Mildred is in part as Maybe Mildred's approach was not the best approach, but I'm wondering if he recognizes here that she's partly right in that his behavior is not fair to Laura. I I think we get that at the end of this scene. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. He does try to insist to Mildred that he and Laura are merely friends. She is not buying it. He says maybe more. She asks how much more. He says the kind that's filled with promise, but otherwise unfulfilled. So here's my question. Does this mean he would have slept with Millicent and not thought of it as cheating? Like if Mildred well, wasn't there to stop him. If he is, if he's describing Laura, his and Laura's relationship in the way he seems to be, then yeah, I would say, yeah, because he doesn't seem to think that they are exclusive. So yeah, I guess he would. Mm, I don't like that. I didn't, I, mean, I, did, I didn't say it like, to make and, you like it. I just, I just, that was just my analysis it, based it, on your question. No, I know. I know. I, you, <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't disagree with you, but this is why I feel that this is out of character because they've had conversations where they've discussed that they are in a relationship. So it, it feels really weird that he would be operating in this morally gray ambiguity and i would understand if he if he had instead insisted to mildred that he was only keeping millicent there to get get information about butch which to be fair that's what he seemed to be doing on the couch that would make sense Mm -hmm. and i could see that i could see that argument and him saying to mildred listen i'm not 
I'm not doing what you think you're doing. I'm trying to get information. I need you to go. Trust me. And and that would, but he doesn't do that. He kind of just writes it off. And then he says that Mildred says that she loves him and Miss Holt doesn't want to see anyone get hurt. He says that's admirable, but whatever course the relationship has to take has to be set by him and Laura, which is not wrong. Mm-hmm. But you know, this, this whole thing from him, this whole thing from him, him right here is really significantly different than how I read the original version of the script because his line here, it's the kind that's fulfilled with promise, but otherwise fulfilled, unfulfilled. And then his follow-up line that you just mentioned about uh, how, how their yeah. relationship, his and Laura's is going to go, is going to be determined by them. Uh, obviously the way this is in, is being intended to be read here is that they have not slept together, but in the original version of the script, that is less ambiguous. It's, it's actually more suggestive of them having slept together or getting ready to. So I think that was, uh, or at least that's the way I read the original script. Uh, maybe I'm reading that wrong, but yeah, it definitely seemed like that original script. There was a lot more physicality between the two of them and a lot more, conversation between the two of them alluding to them having a physical relationship versus what we have here of the kind that's filled with promise and otherwise unfulfilled and where our relationship winds up going is between us you know but kind of implying that we really haven't gotten that far to to in the discussion even yet so no no and 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 again like this is the guy that went charging off and uh, slapped Derek Vivian upside the head because mm-hmm. Vivian yeah. hit on Laura, right? Like it just, it's a weird, right. it's weird that he's being so cavalier with Millicent when he says to Derek Vivian that he and Miss Holter in a relationship, that it was hurtful for him to yeah. behave that way towards Laura when she is spoken for. And then he, this is, yeah, it's, um, it's out of character. It's, it's not. Yeah. It's um, inconsistent. Yeah. So then, Mildred asks if she should apologize to the bimbo and he tells her to finish the dishes and not to, so they don't attract bugs. Yeah. This is where I think what you were saying earlier about Steele recognizing that Mildred is really acting in their best interest, his and Laura's and that he's, he's not going to keep fighting her on it because it's I'll finish the dishes. We don't want to attract any bugs. Do we? It's it's not get out of here. You know, it's, it's, it's not a direct acknowledgement that, okay, yeah, I was, I was out of line and you're right. And so go ahead and hang, hang out and play chaperone. But it is, it is, you know, in, in that sort of backhanded way. Yeah. Yeah. So he gives her a kiss on the cheek. Um, When he goes back out there, Millicent is already getting ready to leave. She says she's got pom-pom practice in the morning. And he offers to drive her home. So, okay. Um, I don't know pom-poms in a, in a hockey arena. Anyway, um, so they, he drives her <laughs> Again, home. What's that? And we see Victor. It just, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, yeah. He drives her home. We see Victor Jenoff watching them both. She pulls in for another very long kiss. And he does not protest. Mm. Which... Again, like they're out, they're not in front of cameras. They're not at a party. He doesn't need to perform this for anybody. And yet he's still 
taking the opportunity to make out with her. Like, mm. when he pulls away, she says that next time she will fix him a meal, preferably breakfast, rather than tell her that that's not going to happen. He smiles and walks away. And I don't feel particularly bad for him when he's run, nearly run down by that car, frankly, at this point. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. I don't know. I just, I'm not pleased with his behavior. Bad, Mr. Steele. Bad. <laughs> well, I, I think uh, getting run over is a little bit of extreme uh, retribution. Okay, but, okay, fine. Whatever. It's fine. <laughs> as long as you don't mention Buffy. He lands in a pile of trash. Yeah, I, I hadn't yet, had I? Hmm. Um, he lands in a pile of trash, loses his keys to the Auburn, Auburn, sorry, and he's looking for them. Victor comes at him, and this time he doesn't have the chance to fully jump out of the way. He's hit, and he lands in the grass. So he is down. Next scene, we see Laura in the hospital frantically rushing to find him. She runs to his bedside, hugs him, which causes him to cry out in pain. She asks the doctor how he is, and the doctor says lucky, explaining that he isn't concussed, but he has a broken leg, three broken ribs, and lots of cuts and abrasions. So, ouch. Yeah. He laments that he was certainly Johnny on the spot, and she asks what happened. He tells her that he played a game of follow the bouncing ball, but he was the ball. Uh, Laura asks if he saw who did it, but he didn't. She asks the doctor if he can go home, and he says yes, but whoever stays with him has to wake him every couple of hours just to make sure he's okay. And it's at this point that Millicent comes into the hospital room, Laura says she and Mildred will take turns. Millicent says that she'll stay with him, handing him a cup of tea, which apparently is awful because she put um, lemon and sugar, but doesn't know how he takes it. <laughs> the look on his face is pretty funny. Oh, lemon sugar um, and milk. Yeah. Ooh. That's, that's, I'm okay. sorry. That's, um, that's like you're trying to poison him. <laughs> Lem, lemon and sugar. Yeah, well, she, maybe I mean, <laughs> sugar and milk, maybe, but the, the lemon and milk. Hmm. Oh. Yeah. Oh, no thanks. Um, Millicent says she feels responsible when she asks why Millicent says it happened on her doorstep. And it wouldn't have happened if she'd accepted his invitation to stay the night. Ouch. I mean, he didn't, but that was obviously designed to hurt Laura and it worked. Yeah. So. And, and it does seem that Laura kind of buys it. Yeah, she does buy it. But to be fair, he hasn't really given her a reason not to in this episode. That's true. That's true. That's true. So it's kind of one of those mm -hmm. things. They return home to the apartment, wheel him in, poor guy. Uh, he asks for a cup of tea with nothing in it. He's very adamant yes. <laughs> As Millicent goes into the kitchen, Laura wheels him rather briskly into the bedroom. She helps him onto the bed. <laughs> what's the it's funny when he's trying to get his shoe off and he's like careful careful it's a very expensive shoe <laughs> he doesn't have the other one on that's right it's no idea what missing. To it, but he's, <laughs> yeah it's missing but hey, hey that one is important we got to be careful about that shoe so that's kind of cute um he insists to her that millicent he did not ask millicent to spend the night <sighs> Part of me thinks this is semantics because he kissed her the way that he did, but mm -hmm. she skates on by this. She says there's more important things to be doing. She doesn't want to have this conversation. Clear that she's not sure whether she can trust him. He insists he needs to talk to her. And she says that he's a grown man. She's a grown woman. And so he asks, why are they acting like two children? It's interesting that he shows this level of maturity now. Yeah. Well, now that he's been kind of caught. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Because like he's now trying to have this conversation saying, I didn't ask her to stay the night with me. 
but you did kiss her and you did, you know, kind of go along with it up until this point. So, and yeah, if, if she had, you know, if, if, if circumstances had been different or somebody had said something different or somebody had made an offer different then yeah, you can see based on everything that happened up to this point that yeah, he, he might've, she might've. Yeah. Like it, it definitely. And you can see why Laura is upset. She still ignores Mm -hmm. him. She tells him that someone poisoned ship car stairs. Someone's going around killing the bachelors, which to be fair, this next line is funny. In that case, will you marry me, Laura? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, That was in the original version Um, as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess they kept that one around for season five, but uh, he, uh, she says it doesn't make sense. And he suggests that maybe it's not supposed to. Now we're coming up to a point of, of contention here. So, okay. He references the pointed out when we get there, um, he references the ABC murders, uh, which she thinks she saw with William Powell and Myrna Lloyd. He says it was a, it was never made into a movie, but it was an Agatha Christie novel in which a kills, Oh, okay. There, there, there. I'm afraid it was never made into a movie. What is it? Because I don't. And the answer is wrong. Was it? Yes. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. The Alphabet Murders, starring Tori, Tony Randall. Oh. Tony Randall as as Poirot. It doesn't work, but uh, Tony Randall, Rod, Robert Morley, okay, Anita Eckberg, Lawrence P. Bachman Productions, that seems and like Metro an odd- Golden Mayer British Studios, 1965. That seems like an odd thing for this show to get wrong. Yeah. It was turned more into a comedy, kind of like the first movie version of Casino Royale with David Niven. Right. Okay. It was based on the ABC murders. And the problem was that at this t- the time that the movie was made, ABC Cinemas was a major chain in Britain. And the title was changed to the Alphabet Murders from the ABC murders. In order to avoid offending the theater chain or possibly even going so far as to refuse to screen the movie. Now, the film features also an uncredited cameo by Margaret Rutherford as Miss Marple. And Margaret Rutherford had previously appeared as Miss Marple in a series of four films produced by MGM between 1961 and 64. And this movie. The Alphabet Mur- Murders was the only movie in which the characters Poirot, Tony Randall, and Miss Marple, Margaret Rutherford, appeared together. And when Poirot and Miss Marple encounter each other, the famous theme from her films can be heard. And she claims that the answer to the killings that he's investigating is as simple as ABC. The original huh. title of the story. Like I said, that seems like an odd thing for this show to get wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. You know, because they're um, usually so. Yeah, even if they have to stretch a point to to make a connection between a movie and and yeah. the episode, they will do that. But in this case, it's pretty straightforward. So yeah, it's a yeah. He he could have even just said like it was never made into a movie under that name, but it was there was. Right. I don't know. They could have maybe not as long an explanation, but given that explanation, right? Right. But yeah, that's weird. <laughs> so he does say. Um, it's based on an Agatha Christie novel in which A kills B in order to divert suspicion from killing C. And I think that's actually been adapted a couple of other times in other ways. Cause I, and it's not coming to me at the moment, but there's a more recent film where that was a thing that happened as well. And obviously it was kind of more of an adaptation as opposed to a direct version of the story. But anyway, yeah, still, um, he says, uh, 
because he has no motive to kill B, then it would be difficult. The police would attempt to link the two deaths, and they can't, and that would mean A gets away with murder. Oh, I remember. It was um there was a film recently, sorry, and and the the name is escaping me, but Sarah Michelle Geller was in it and it had it was it was not murder, but it was the revenge plot, I think it was called, or something like that. And it was two characters that have been wronged. It was in a high school. They've been wronged by various people. And so they team up and they basically offer to get revenge on the other person, uh, on, on the other person's person or whatever. Right. And that way nobody would be able to tie them officially back to the revenge because it wasn't them doing it. If that makes sense. Was it um, the grudge? No, 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 no. That was a horror movie. Okay. All right. <laughs> this is, this is, um, it was recent. It came out in like 2023 and okay. it was basically one character was, had an issue with some characters at her school. And so the other girl who they, they didn't go in the same circles. And so they offered to take care of each of their problems for each other. But it's obviously the same idea because if, if it's tied back to them, then they would have no motive. So. But it wasn't murder. Um, it was just like, yeah, team thing. But yeah, mm-hmm. she concludes that the next step would be to figure out which of these men was the intended victim. She realizes that she hasn't seen the fifth, the fifth Bachelor yet, Arnold Baskin, because she had to talk to the police and, that, and then the hospital called. She attempts to call him, but his phone is busy. Steele assures her that at least that she knows she's, that he's at home, and she decides that she has to warn him. So she goes to leave, and Steele cautions her to stay away from Lemon Chicken. She comes back, she kisses his forehead, but before she can pull away, he puts his hand on her face and assures her that he never invited Millicent to spend the night. She says, I'll talk about it later. So I don't know, maybe he's taking Mildred's advice to heart now, but it it feels weird that he kissed her the way that he did before he got hit by the car. As Laura's leaving, she runs into Millicent with the tea. She tells him she has to go out for a couple of hours. She tells her where the pain pills are, reminds her to wake him. And if she can't call an ambulance, Millicent frets about how there's so much to remember. And Laura tells her that she can do it, adding to stay close to him, but not too close before leaving. I can't tell if Millicent really is dumb or if she's playing a part. You know, I think she is dumb. I think she, I think, I think the, the conclusion that we arrive at is that she's, I don't know. What do you think? I ultimately kind of, wound up leaning that direction too. But initially I was kind of under the, I was, I was leaning more toward the side of she's really not that dumb. She is just, she's playing the dumb blonde because that allows her to do what she wants to without people taking her seriously or suspecting her because she's just too dumb to do this sort of thing. You you know, it's, it's one of those uh, things where, you play into somebody's stereotypes because you're letting them see what they want to see. And by doing yeah. that, you're diverting their attention from something else that you're actually doing behind the scenes or in the background uh, that, you know, you don't want them to, to fly about. It's kind of like with Dolly Parton, when someone called her a dumb blonde, she said it doesn't bother her because she's not dumb and she's not blonde. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so oh, that, so was funny. <laughs> that was my initial thought, but um I, I think by the time we get to the end of it, I, I'm still going to say she's not maybe quite as dumb as she puts on, but she's, I'm not going to give her credit for intelligence that she doesn't have. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. 
So we get Laura showing up at Baskin's. He's sleeping. Janoff is in the room. He sneaks up to him, grabs a pillow. He intends to strangle him when the doorbell rings. He drops his pillow as Baskin stirs and goes to hide in the closet. Baskin wakes up and goes to answer it. And I have a couple of questions about this, which I'll, I'll get to at the end of the episode. But Laura apologizes for waking him. He immediately puts his arm around her. She tells him the truth very bluntly. He simply says, this kind of news calls for a drink. She asks yeah. if there are, is any connection, no matter how vague, between the bachelors and Baskin says his law firm has uh, as a department that specializes in sports figures. And of course, when he turns on the stereo, it is Vivaldi. So, yep. um, these I, guys, it, it must be a they're rule like, when you're trying to seduce a woman. They all have, yeah. <laughs> they all have a copy of The Prophet. They all listen mm-hmm. to Vivaldi's Four Seasons, and they all yeah. have these bottles of wine that are specifically bottled in small quantities. Yes. Um, but these are all like these generic things that they think makes them in some way, I guess, seductive or appealing, but in, in, in reality just makes them look like arrogant jerks. Like he turns down the lights. I I love her. Yeah. I love her response here. She rolls her eyes because she knows what's coming, right? Like this is chip car stairs all over again. She asked if Butch was a client. Baskin says that he was, and he was about to pay off handsomely. He offers her a glass of wine again, despite the fact that she said no only a couple seconds ago, gives her the same spiel that Carstairs did about a wine being bottled in small quantities and only for something special. Yeah. Oh, only this one, this vintners in Mendocino. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's all, but it's all like, it's special. Like, yes. Okay. I bet, I bet he's lying. You know, I bet he bought, I bet this is one of those ones that comes out of a cardboard box. It's a cardboard. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, hiney, whiny. Yeah, exactly, right? Laura asks how Butch was going to pay off. Baskin starts touching her face in a super creepy way, saying that Janoff didn't have the bucks to pay Butch and that Butch was going to become a free agent. He'd even given Janoff a letter of intent. Laura asks about the significance of this, and instead of answering her, he tells her a disturbing story. This is where things get real weird with this dude, okay? (laughs) Like, real weird. I want to seduce you, so I'm going to tell you about atomic bombs. (laughs) (laughs) What? When the bombs of Hiroshima fell, the shadows of people who were vaporized were etched permanently into the concrete. This is supposed to be romantic? I guess. What? I, I'll give him points for originality, I suppose. But I've been doing it wrong all these years. Yeah, clearly. You should have started talking about the bodies of dead, of vaporized victims yeah. of, of a nuclear attack. Clearly, that was the appropriate hit up. Hit, like, what? I, I could have. I could have done yeah. so much better in he high school up. and college. You could have. You could have. You just had to work on your nuclear love pickup lines <laughs> That's right. and and um, and get some wine from exclusive little vintners that I you know exclusively bottled vintners. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So he goes into the other room. He sprays his breath. I don't think that's his problem, but hey, (laughs) Laura follows him saying that she's trying to keep him alive and asking for a sporting chance. He puts his arm around her, sits him down on the bed and tells her that the letter meant that Butch was was free to look into other teams, leaving Janoff without a star player. He then asks if if she sees the implications and he says, if nuclear war comes... And as it could come at any time, imagine the two of them locked together in those final moments, their deaths bittersweet by their bodies intertwined together for all eternity. 
<laughs> on the wall? Seduction like technique <laughs> ever. Yeah. Her, that is a good response. Like, and Arnold just urges her to think of it. I, I don't, yeah. I don't, I gotta wonder how many times this has worked for him. Cause it, it, it has to have worked at least once for him to, this sounds well rehearsed. That's, you know, that's something that I thought of uh, when I was watching this and, and hearing his line and, and everybody, you know, using the yeah. same lines over and over again, variations of the same lines is that. Yeah. Like they're, they're, they're playing rehearsed. the numbers they've... game. You know, if you, <laughs> if you throw a dart often enough, eventually you're going to hit the board and eventually you're going to get the bullseye. And that's what they're doing. They're just throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall, throwing a bunch of mud at the wall, hoping that eventually they, they hit the target. And if they do it often enough over the period of a, a week, a month, whatever, yeah, they're going to have success. I got to wonder who this works on. I want to see the woman <laughs> that this nuclear strategy works on because she, she needs some some therapy. Yeah. Is my like, train of thought. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So Arnold urges her to think of it. Laura rolls away off the bed, says she would rather think of Janoff's motive, adding that with Butch dead, he has nothing. Arnold says, well, if you call $5 million, nothing. She sits back down on the bed, and Arnold tells her that he had a life insurance policy on Butch and that it's common when you have a piece of merchandise that valuable to insure it. And he starts touching her again at this point, which implies that Laura obviously would be a piece of merchandise to him. Uh, Mm -hmm. Not shocking, as it seems like that's how all of these men see women, which makes them all super, super, super gross. Laura is satisfied that she has a motive for Butch, And Arnold asks, what about the other three? Laura tells him it's as simple as ABC, tells him to lock his windows. She gets up to leave. And then he follows her yelling, where are you going? We were just getting into the significance of nuclear love. (laughs) Yep. The fact that he thought at this point he still had a chance is ballsy. I'll give him that. (laughs) Desperate. He thought he was still in the game. Yeah. (laughs) He comes back into the bedroom. Notices the windows aren't. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, these men are all, I mean, this is a stereotype. We're, we're looking at serious stereotypes here of, of men mm-hmm. all in very sort of high-powered, successful positions who assume that because they are, they can get anybody they want. But it's a stereotype but. because they're out there. These are stereotypes, but they're oh, for sure. real yeah. people. <sighs> anyway. Yeah. I mean, there's always like a tiny grain of truth in any stereotype. There's always that arrogant jerk who thinks that he can have any woman he sets his eyes on. In this one, I think it's a whole shovel. Yeah, that's true. That's true. (laughs) Uh, He comes back to the bedroom, notices the windows are indeed open and shuts them. And then we've got Laura comes back into Steele's apartment and hears some very weird noises coming from his room. Shades of love among the steel. It sounds like groaning and moaning, but very strange it doesn't sound like love though. Like these, like this is the, this is, if it's love, I don't know what I want to, I don't want to know what you're into. You know what you do you, but like (laughs) that sounded painful. Um, And obviously she initially assumes it's him and Millicent and starts to leave only to come back in furious and ready to confront him. She storms into his bedroom only to see the noises are coming from his TV and it looks like he's watching, I'm assuming, Tarzan? That's Thinking? the speculation that I saw on the Facebook group. And Okay, yeah. 
I tried, I, I skimmed through some of the Tarzan movies I could find on YouTube from that black and white era. And I didn't spot anything that looked like that particular scene. But like I said, I was just skimming through them. So it could very well be. There wasn't enough there on the screen yeah. to really tell. So, I mean, no, but I mean, that would be, which is good because those would not be good sounds to make while doing the other thing. So I'm glad that it was, <laughs> in fact, Tarzan. Um, well, so. he's fast asleep. She turns off the TV, which jolts him awake. He tells her he took a pain pill. He asks where Millicent is. He says that, or sorry, she took, she asked where Millicent is. And he says he sent her home and she couldn't make tea worth a damn. <laughs> he asks where she's been and she tells him uh, about getting the goods on the murderer. He says, who done it? And she tells him Victor Janoff. She tells him about the letter of intent. And he points out that if he's clever to do all this, he's clever enough to destroy the letter. So he's right. She says, not necessarily. And when he asks why not, she says, because then we can't prove he's a killer. So, I mean... True. Uh, oh, not th- not really I'm helpful. Sorry. That's not very logical. <laughs> no. Like, he can't have destroyed it because then we got nothing, you know? Yeah. So, this is where Steele references Rear Window and says that she knows that was made into a movie. He then quotes Jim, James Stewart, Grace Kelly, Paramount, 1954, and describes a plot involving Jimmy Stewart having a broken leg and passing the time watching his neighbors. He eventually comes to believe that one is a killer. When the killer figures out what he's doing, he tries to kill him too. Steele thinks the best approach is to call Janoff and tell him that he has a witness who saw him kill Dr. Ridley at the stables and someone who saw him rig the hot tub and try to run him down. So he's just going to come straight out and say it. See, we've located three witnesses already and we haven't even left the apartment. (laughs) Yeah, which is kind of funny. He phones, Janoff answers. He asks if he's surprised to hear from him, and Janoff says he'd be surprised to hear from anyone at that hour, which is a good good line. He asks how his legs and his ribs are, and Steele says broken. He says, shouldn't you be trying to get as much rest as possible? To which Steele replies, what would you say if I said I had a witness that says they saw you kill Dr. Ridley? Janoff looks a little unnerved and says that he doesn't have the vaguest idea what he's talking about, and he suspects neither does he before he hangs up. Shouldn't the fact that he knew what injuries Steele had have kind of caught somebody's attention at this point. I mean, it should have been a clue for Laura, at least. You would think, because she, yeah, like, it, it would mean that he was there, and they don't, neither one of them really thinks about this. Well, I guess Until maybe later. because they've already decided he's the killer, right? Oh, yeah, and I, I guess if they've yeah, already decided he's the killer, then it makes sense that he would know about his injuries, so yeah. Well, that's true. Laura suggests plan B, which which is to sneak into Janoff's apartment and find the letter, which is, is this just me or is this a terrible plan? Like Steele has already pointed out that the letter has likely been destroyed. And if you sneak in, why wouldn't you at least wait until Janoff leaves the apartment? Cause Janoff Steele points out that he just woke the man up and Laura says he has to sleep sometime. Like, okay, but maybe no, don't sneak into an apartment with a man who has killed already and is there. Yeah. On your own. It's it's not exactly her most brilliant plan. I'll I'll say that. Yes. No, it's definitely not. And still can't come with her. So yeah, like maybe wait till he at least leaves, like stake the place out, wait till you see him go the next day and then have a look through his apartment because Mm -hmm. they know he's there already. Right. So anyway, she, she decides to, to go there, sneaks into his apartment, turns on her, 
out her flashlight and she is shocked to find he's dead with a gun next to him, which looks like a suicide. So mm-hmm. he's out, which is again, kind of interesting because it's the first time we've seen an episode where we know who the killer is. And then the killer is subsequently killed by another killer who we yeah. you know, maybe don't know that there's a, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> this next Didn't scene have a is hilarious. At this point that there was more than that. It was a, uh, it was a party party game. Yeah. 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 But this next scene, this is funny. He's in his apartment. He's using a broom. He's trying to get a wine glass down from the little thing it's hanging on. It falls. So he keeps going, breaking wine glass after wine glass after wine glass. And did you notice how much glass there is on the floor around him? <laughs> There's Yeah. So he had obviously already broken a few and he's just, he's determined to get that glass of wine. I guess he's refusing That's to right. drink it in a styrofoam cup. I don't know, but it's pretty funny that he's destroying his entire collection of wine glasses just to to get one off with the broom yeah. uh, she comes in she asks what he's doing he wants to celebrate with champagne claiming it's not often that uh, they solve a case by a phone call laura asks if he means janoff's suicide and Steele concludes that obviously they pushed him over the edge laura isn't so sure she buys it she grabs the two remaining glasses that are not smashed and hands yeah. them to him he tells her to wash it down with this and pours her a glass. She points out that he didn't ask any questions about the witness, such as who it was or why they hadn't come forward before. And Steele says that he was found with a gun in his hand, which is not exactly a puzzling mystery. She insists that there's something missing and says that he, and she, he says that she has an annoying habit of letting things, of not letting things go like a bulldog terrier, which is kind of funny. (laughs) She then asks herself if Janoff is beneficiary to a $5 million policy, then who is Janoff's beneficiary? He pretends he's been asking himself the same question. And as she leaves, she jostles his toe. Kind of mean. (laughs) The man's got a broken leg. Like, ouch. Well, it's it's almost like she reached down to kind of pinch it or or tickle it or something. But yeah, not Yeah. not not a very nice move. So Laura goes to Victor's house again, finds Mariah Taylor there looking through Janoff's safe. She asks what she's looking for and implies that it's the same thing that he, um, that he was. Mariah says, I don't, I doubt that. And Laura quickly surmises that they were more than editor and publisher. Mariah confirms that Janoff didn't want to look like he started a magazine for his girlfriend, but as soon as it was successful and they were supposed to be married. She says that now all she has is his promise that if something were to happen, she'd be taken care of. Laura states that she's the bene- it, that she's the beneficiary, and Mariah defensively says that he didn't have any friends or family, so why shouldn't she get everything? Which isn't really how things work, but okay. Um, <laughs> Laura mentions the five million dollar life insurance policy just as Mariah finds something, but it wasn't. It's not the policy. She calls him a rotten, two faced slime ball. Laura snatches the document from her only to find out that Victor and Millicent were married secretly. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. The plot thickens. Uh, Mariah is furious. She says that he strung her along for eight years and then married that pom-pom girl. She asks, what am I supposed to do now? I'm 36 years old. Then corrects it to 32, which is, be- <laughs> the, it's funny is, because I actually, sorry, go is ahead. That four, is that four years? Does anybody really care about those four years? Other than her. <laughs> well, well, it's funny because I looked it up and the actress is 32. So 
Yeah, I guess I, I don't know why I found that funny, but I was like, I want to know how old she actually is. And I looked it up and she the actress was 32 at the time. So there we go. I guess that four years does matter to her. Um, but uh, So Laura asks if she happened to see an insurance policy on Butch, but Mariah's too upset to hear her. So she asks again. She tells her that if anything had to do with the hockey team, it will be at the arena. And then goes back to p- pacing, saying that without Victor's backing, she's going to be walking the streets after the magazine folds. She says she'll kill him. And Laura says, sorry, Mariah, Millicent beat you to that too. That was Ooh, a bit mean. That was smug. <laughs> That was a bit That mean. was smug. That was, yeah, I was kind of like, I, that's what I had in my notes. I was like, she seems pretty happy about that. Like, I mean, I know neither one of, I like, I don't think Mariah is necessarily a, a wonderful human being, given how cavalier she was about all the bachelors being killed. But at the same time, like, this poor woman's just been devastated. I don't know. It seems like a kind yeah, of a dig. Mean. <laughs> Very mean. Yeah. So we go to the arena. She breaks into Victor's office, rifles through his desk, finds nothing, attempts to open the filing cabinet only to hear the door being opened. So she hides behind a wall and Arnold Baskin walks in. He goes over to the filing cabinet and searches it until he finds a file. He pulls it out, walks over to a mirror where he's about to look at it. Instead, he sees Laura in the mirror. She runs for the door, but he blocks her and tells her that she doesn't stop running from him. She's going to get the feeling that she doesn't, or sorry, if she doesn't stop running from him, he's going to get the feeling she doesn't enjoy his company. Um, <laughs> she says she doesn't want to interrupt whatever it is he's doing. And he grabs her, basically, walks her over to the filing cabinet, adding that he's always found women accommodating. Laura asks if he and Fairbush were engaging in nuclear love, and he says that she is so energetic. Ugh. So Millicent's getting around. And here, I guess, brings me to my question. So he and Millicent are clearly in on it together, but Janoff almost killed him. So did 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 Janoff and Millicent plan this together, and then she went behind his back and and brought Arnold into it, or hmm. how did that work? That's a good question. Let's see. So because Arnold was, was almost Arnold. Right. Well, you know, maybe, maybe, um, Melissa is just, oh, maybe she's a lot smarter than we give her credit for because either way, maybe. she wins. This comes back to the question of was she dumber? Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Because either way, she wins. That's because true. if Janoff kills off Butch and uh, all the rest of the bachelors, she's still got Janoff and whatever money he has. And then, she, of course, she could kill him. Uh, or she could just let him go to jail, in which case she would take over control because she's his wife. And so naturally it would fall to her. Or if Arnold kills um, uh, Janoff, then she still inherits. And yeah, she wins either way. True. Yeah, that's a good point. So I guess I maybe she's not as dumb. She as is a little thought. smarter than we gave her credit for. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Laura says she was also the only one able to get close enough to Janoff to shoot him point blank that nobody would suspect a ditzy cheerleader. He says that Millicent's deficiencies have their advantages, and Laura says she should have realized that Millicent needed someone to plan it. So they're still assuming that Millicent isn't all that bright, but. Mm-hmm. You're right. Like she probably was playing them both, right? He adds that it was quite a good plan unaware that she is using him for information. He adds that all the evidence points to Janoff as a killer 
And with their help and expert sleuthing, he points out that it'll look like Janoff was hounded by Steele into committing suicide, and Laura adds, leaving the grieving widow to collect. Baskin says only as soon as he rectifies a technicality, adding that she isn't the brightest lady, as Laura pointed out. She mistakenly signed a prenup, which limited the amount she could get from Janoff. Would that count in life insurance as well? The man's dead. Well, I thought prenups only counted for divorce. You know, I looked that up because I had that same question. And (laughs) what I found was that prenups can include any portion of the estate or, or anything that would be typically inherited by somebody. Uh, because the prenups can actually include death circumstances. So I, I, I didn't okay. think so either. But yeah, when I looked it up, it was like, oh, really? Seriously? You can have a prenup that covers the death of the principal? And that seems kind of uh, petty. Still, yeah. I mean, you know, ooh, like, yeah. Ouch. So, um, yeah. All right. I guess if you really want to stick it to somebody, yeah, well, I, I maybe don't marry them if that's if you're going to well, go that yeah, far. There, you know, there's I that get. too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if you've already decided yeah. that that you you need to plan for failure of your marriage yeah. and relationship, it's probably not going to work out in the long run. Yeah. Yep. He scrunches it up, saying that once it's destroyed, uh, he will be what he's always wanted to be—a mogul. Okay, another question: Wouldn't the lawyers for Janos Estate have a copy of a prenup? One would think. Yeah, okay. So maybe Mr. Baskin is not the smartest tool in the shed. Or That's maybe my he'd thinking. already arranged to have that copy destroyed. Maybe. And he is supposed to be, he's the lawyer, right? So mm-hmm. I guess maybe maybe he drew it up. So, yeah, okay. <laughs> Arnold picks up the phone, commands her to get Steele over there. Laura says that he doesn't know anything about Millicent or Arnold, and he laughs and says, you expect me to believe that you're aware of something the great Ooh. Remington Steele isn't? Ooh. Ouch. You're right. obviously you just an Aaron girl. A... <sighs> okay, oh, oh, that's literally... I wrote, he adds that she's... Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and she... Yeah, not impressed. Not impressed. No. Yeah. Steele is throwing the cards into a hat. When the phone rings, he rolls is the wheelchair over the answer with some difficulty. From Steel Framed? I think so. Yeah, I think it is. I think it is her hat. Um, <laughs> when he answers the phone, Laura is extremely formal with him, the way an employee would speak to their boss, right? Uh, mm-hmm. She gives both her first and last name and calls him Sir, asking him to come to the arena. Steele says that he is somewhat incapacitated at the moment. Uh, she says it can't be helped, Sir, which obviously... You know, he, he her hand starts up on. making its her, its way to the letter opener. He asks her if someone is there, noting that she sounds formal. She says no and stabs Baskin with the letter opener and makes a run for it. <laughs> and this brings us to one of the funniest bits of physical comedy. It's just hilarious. And my, my understanding trying is to that, roll himself out of that apartment. Uh, my understanding is that much of the the physical comedy here was Brosnan's idea. Maybe not all of it. And that's another thing yeah, I wanted to check yeah. in the the script if we could get a later version that was closer to the the version shot. How much of it was was scripted in this? But I, I understand at least the fight with the ficus was Crosman's yeah. idea. <laughs> oh, that was funny. That was good. And and here's my question: He grabs the keys to the Auburn. Is he was he planning <laughs> to drive with his leg? And why not just call Fred? 
Pick up the phone. Call Fred. Uh, Fred takes me to do crime. Surely, you know, I guess. So, yeah, I don't know how he was planning to drive with his leg in a cast, but the fight with the ficus is really funny. That is a good moment. He opens the door to find Millicent there. He asks him to get her to the car, not realizing, obviously, she's the danger. Meanwhile, Basket is still chasing Laura through the arena. She has to double back and ends up in the stands. She throws her purse down the stairs and goes up up to the upper level. Baskin comes in, sees the purse, and goes down, which is smart. Meanwhile, Steele and Millicent are arriving in the Auburn with his legs sticking out of the the car. It's quite funny. It's a very, very funny image. Laura's in the rafters watching Baskin look for her in the stands. We then switch back to Steele, who's only now realizing that the car that ran them down didn't follow them, that it was parked there and waiting. So this is where he's cluing into the fact that there's more than one person involved in this. Mm-hmm. She wheels him into the stands as he keeps talking, wondering how Janoff knew his exact injuries when the only people who knew were the doctor, Laura, him, and Millicent. Again, this is one of those moments where again, if like they already had decided he was the killer, so that would make perfect sense, but I guess they had to remind the audience of that because this is where we're supposed to get the penny drop that she's in on it too. Well, or, well, well you know, that we already know that. Thinking but, about it, um, yeah. Thinking about it, though, thinking about it, Janoff would know that Steele had been injured and was in the hospital, but he wouldn't know the specifics. Broken rib, broken that's leg. That's true, actually. Yeah. So, yeah, that's so true. Now we're back this, to where we started. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Boy, it's been a ride. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. Boy, you really um, are smart, Remy. But this is where, yeah, that's where the penny drops. And he says it's not the most eloquent confession, but he'll accept it. She says so much for lasting relationships and then adds bye-bye Remy before attempting to dump him down the stairs, (laughs) Um, which is funny. Laura swings on a rope very much the same way Steele did in uh, Steen Steelers Mm -hmm. and hits Millicent before she can hurt him. Steele says, that's my girl, which is really quite cute. And then urges her to get up. Meanwhile, Baskins found them and runs up the stairs towards them. But in her fight with Millicent, Laura accidentally knocks him <laughs> down the stairs, poor guy, and he hits Baskin and falls out of the wheelchair. Laura kicks Millicent and then punches her out, which is quite funny, and then does the thing where she um, shakes her hand, right? Because, of course, you have to. Yep. <laughs> uh, poor Steel. He now has two broken legs. Yes. Laura's bringing him something to read, some candy, some flowers. She apologizes to him for breaking his other leg. He says it's fine because she saved his life and broke his limb, which is kind of cute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She insinuates it's poetic justice for carrying on with Millicent and Mariah. I'm not sure that that is correct. Um, well. Yeah, I don't think that it really deserved broken bones, yeah. but yeah. Well. He says it's all behind them now, and he just wants to stay home with that special someone. Laura says, when you find her, give her my best. She gets up to leave, and he asks where she's going. She replies that Mariah has chosen another set of bachelors, and she asks Laura to check them out and see if they're all right. She tells him not to wake up, wait up and blows him a kiss, and poor why guy do is I have, steer, staring at his feet. Why do I have the feeling she's going to check them out in more ways than one or or she at least wants steel to believe that she will be (laughs) yeah (laughs) maybe she's going to read the prophet first (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 
Anyway. But I do, the, the last shot of this episode of him staring at his feet, mm-hmm. I will say from, a, from the perspective like of, of just the visuals, that's a good shot. I really yeah. like that shot. Yeah. So, yeah. I got to say overall, like, I enjoy the episode. It's certainly not a terrible episode, but I definitely don't think it's very consistent in some ways. Yeah, it has issues. It's kind of like uh, like the last one. I mean, it, we have issues with it. it it's yeah, it's a good episode, but yeah, we we have issues. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, we enjoyed ourselves. I think. Yeah. So yeah, there's uh, on the website www.steelwatching.com. We've got show notes, links to Amazon US, Amazon Canada. Uh, there is merch that you can that you can have a look at and as well as other ways to support us. So check that out. There are also social media resources and links such as the links to the official steel watching Facebook, the official steel watching Twitter and the official steel watching Instagram, as well as the official unofficial steel fan group, steel watchers. Yeah. Did I say enough officials? (laughs) I think so. Yeah. I think you got it. Okay. <laughs> and our uh, next episode is uh, High Flying Steel, not to be confused with Steel Flying High. Yes. It's the circus one. It's just too confusing. It's to have very two, confusing. I mix them up all the time. Are, yeah. Yes. But yes, it's, uh, it's a good one. It's coming up. I enjoy it. It is a good one. We get yep. a lot of fun from the cast. So. Okay. All right. Well, well I guess... That's it for us for now, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Eric and Sarah here. Just a quick announcement to let you know that, yes, we do appreciate everyone who listens, participates, and supports the podcast in whatever way you do. But we wanted to give an extra thank you to those who are so graciously giving to be monthly financial supporters. We are making live streams of our recording sessions available to anyone who is a monthly financial supporter. So not only can you watch us live as we record our podcast episodes, you will be getting access to the raw, behind-the-scenes, unedited version of episodes before they get officially released. And Sarah, does that include our mistakes and screw-ups and our humiliating? (laughs) (laughs) Every single one of them. (laughs) Every single one of them, yes. So again, this is just an extra thank you to those who are going above and beyond But whether you choose to become a monthly financial supporter or not, we still love you. We want to say we thank you for your support, your encouragement, and your feedback. If you want to become a monthly financial supporter, please visit our website at www.steelwatching.com to sign up.